The following Days of Thunder pay-per-view special is brought to you as part of the PWOM Podcast Network. Subscribe to PWOM now to enjoy other fine podcasts talking wrestling of the past, the present, and much, much more. Let's start the show. Welcome to a very special edition of Days of Thunder, the WCW Thunder Rewatch podcast that you didn't ask for, but we did anyway, coming to you as part of the PWOM Podcast Network. I am your host, your foreign diplomat on Thunder Road, Dave Ryan, and I'm joined, as I am on every episode, by my faithful co-host, he's Stagger Lee Malone. Lee, how are you? I'm very good. If if you're the uh, diplomat, what does that make me? Am I like the, the driver? Uh, I, I, I don't know, maybe you're... Uh, <laughs> I think it's an official title for the guy who holds the biros at the, 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 the peace accord signings. Flag bearer, maybe. I don't yeah, know. The flag bearer, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I, I think for tonight, I can say uh, I'm the Tanae to your bishop. Yeah. I, I, oh, I don't know who's getting the better end of that deal. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it is a very, we're, it's not your regularly scheduled edition of Days of Thunder. We're talking something a bit special. And to do that, we have to cross our own podcast demilitarized zone and get help from the other side. We have joining us from the Strong Style Story podcast, from Boom Goes the Dynamite, from the Busting Balls we're, podcast. We're going to be here a while. It's the, it's the human podcast machine. <laughs> Jeffrey Wessel. Jeffrey, how are you? Hello, hello. Hey, Dave. Hey, Lee. I would say that would make Lee the diplomatic attache is uh, what I would, uh, how I would put it. Exotic. <laughs> but, I'll uh, take it. <laughs> but in addition to this being a, uh, a special edition of Days of Thunder, this is also now technically episode 17 of Strong Style History. So uh, I, I always claim that I'm going to bring it back and then we do a couple episodes and then we wait another year and then here, here's another one. So. <laughs> it's 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 also the speaking of things that are long promised we we always promise uh podcast crossovers between our shows and seldom deliver on it um <laughs> so we we finally have well, another team up between our well, shows some some would say we never deliver even when we do them so you know <laughs> i mean i mean we, we we've all guessed it on each other's shows now so you know yeah it's 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 one big happy podcasting family. It feels like one of those uh, team up movies now at this stage, like in the Marvel universe, where you get like a, a little bit of crossover here or there, but then once every so often, uh, most if not all of us, obviously Chris isn't with us this week, but uh, most of us get together uh, for a big team up movie. We, yeah. we couldn't uh, afford Chris's fee this week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Chris wouldn't get out of his trailer. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy yeah um you know it, it's funny because i was talking with uh the cubs fan last night because i guess triple a have like a whole laundry list of uh potential marvel luchador mm-hmm. and we were going through who, who some of them were and I, w- I was amazed to find out that one of them 
uh, actually has not been any extended media yet outside of the comics. So I thought that was odd. Huh. There is yeah. a, a, a Aranya Voladora who is based on Spider Woman, you know, Jessica Drew, who has not huh. been in, in anything yet. Oh, Wasn't yeah. there? Was she supposed? To, is it? Were they teasing that she might end end up like in a cameo in the next Spider Man movie or something? I feel like there was some, or maybe she was speculated to be one of the the TV shows that's coming eventually. Wouldn't to this Disney be Plus. got to do with the multiverse stuff? It so might I'm be a, multiverse, I'm and that's where yeah. she comes in. I, that yeah, yeah, I possibly. that I wouldn't have any idea. Yeah. Um, I, I, so I, yeah. I, I, I as I explained when I guessed it on another show on this network, uh, <laughs> I have not watched. That the episode of The Flash that I watched, which was already four years old by that point, uh, was the first superhero extended media I'd watched. I, I'd actively uh, seen since uh, Age of Ultron. So, yeah, it, it's a, it, like it's a real job at this point to catch up on everything. But uh, before we get into like what we're here to talk about, uh, Jeffrey, it's it's been a while since we we've talked to you on the program. Uh, how how are things going with you, and uh, how? Uh, how refreshing is it maybe to hop in the Wayback Machine rather than have to subject yourself to talking about the uh, last week or so of events in Japan? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it does seem like an entirely entirely different world now. Although, mm. given the, the, the subject matter we're talking about, in some ways it, it's all the same because, you know, that mm. country hasn't really changed at all. But yeah. yeah, it's been... Writing the blog has been interesting lately because... Yeah. I mean, Chris has opted out of doing the podcast for right now, which I can't, you know, I can't make him mm-hmm. record yeah. a podcast yeah. if he doesn't want to, which I, I, and I understand because New Japan, I mean, in, in I mean, the, the, the New Japan in 2021 so far has not been great. Um, mm-hmm. And I know that when we could, when we, when we force ourselves to do it during the second half of 2018, it nearly broke us. Mm. Because it, it was so bad creatively, but you, you, you throw the pandemic in, and if you've been reading my blog, which uh, um I've been doing a lot of writing lately about the Japanese government, the states of emergency, and other promotions, too, hmm. and their responses to it. And a lot of, a lot of companies, New Japan inclusive, have been found wanting basically yeah. for how they're handling this. Yeah. I mean, it's almost like, I, I mean, they're not alone. I mean, I mean, sumo continued to run with fans, this Basho, yeah. uh, even though it, it's like when, when they extended the state of emergency, they, they took it as like a vague suggestion rather than as, by the way, we're extending the state of emergency because even just yesterday, they announced that o- Okinawa is part of the state of emergency now. And it yeah. wasn't before. And they are talking like it, it is going to it is going to be extended past the end of May, and Tokyo particularly will be under stricter lockdown. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, the, the the biggest element here is that the government is absolutely hell bent on holding the Olympics when yeah a, a whopping eighty three percent of those polled are completely against it, including mm-hmm. six thousand Japanese doctors most of which in tokyo yeah writing the government saying you cannot do this and i feel like they were the last 
like it was the Olympics last time around were the last thing to be cancelled, like the last big thing, because even the Euros got cancelled before mm-hmm. the Olympics did, or the Olympics got postponed and then kicked to, to 2021. But uh, what I was going to ask you again, I know we're a little bit off topic here, but it is kind of genuinely interesting to me. I know a lot of the problems that people are having at the moment with New Japan are like, it's a combination of stuff that is of uh, where they're victims of circumstance with some things, but also very much not and conscious decisions have uh, have uh, not played very well with the public there. But uh, with regards to companies still running shows in Japan uh, at the moment, do you feel like it's a kind of similar thing to last year where there are a lot of companies that are so financially like shaky that some of them feel the need they have to run? I imagine Bushi Road is probably the one exception being so far in front of the rest of the pack. But is there definitely a sense where some of the companies might stop if they were more financially secure? I, I think so. I mean, there there were two major shows this month. And, you know, uh, one was supposed to happen last Sunday uh, as we record this on, on the 16th. And then the other one was supposed to happen on the 30th. And um, they both got canceled. Both of those shows were at Tokyo Oda Ward uh, Gymnasium, um, All Japan Champion Night 2021, and then Pro Wrestling Noah was supposed to run the the Mitsuharu Misawa Memorial Show. Mm-hmm. Um, All Japan rescheduled it to their show to June. Um, Noah moved the Misawa Show to the next day at Korokan Hall, and then made a made a big deal about well we won't have the portrait of Misawa or the flower arrangement there as if that was the fucking problem you know yeah. um you know so i think my thought was is that oda war gymnasium basically says yeah you ain't running these shows right now yeah. um but but cork and hall has let so many shows go um you know uh where else you know shinkiba first ring and shinjuku face all in tokyo and you know mm. basement monstar all these other venues in tokyo have been allowing shows to run and then you know it, it, it's certainly ironic that you know the the positive cases for new japan were found in fukuoka and then right before and then fukuoka gets added to the state of emergency and then dragon gate tries to run in fukuoka and then two you know one of their guys tested negative tested positive too hmm. you know it's just like nobody's getting the hint you know, no. it's just like th- th- this is not the time right now, and yeah. you know, it's just I don't know. I- I'm I'm pretty disappointed in a lot of companies right now in, in yeah. Japan. Uh, you I- know, not just New Japan. New Japan creatively has been a slog, but I mean, it, it that I mean, every company has a creative downside. I mean, even yeah. a- I mean, we talk about AEW a lot. Let's face it, the first couple of months of Dynamite, other yeah. than the premiere episode, were not great. You know, yeah. and they they go through phases as well. Like you know, we always talk about how like uh, AEW is great at building TV, but the they they building to something and then paying it off seem to be like paying things off seems to be beyond them at the moment for in a lot of cases. Yeah. Um, um, now again, New Japan had some, and again, I, I'm just gonna throw this out there about there, there, there's rumors that Will Osprey's injury may not be the case. Yeah. I, I'm gonna say this is that in defense. Um, if Osprey is legit injured, being a citizen of the Commonwealth, he is he is far more likely to get better treatment from yeah. the even though they're completely stripped down to the spare parts by Brexit, but the NHS mm. is still there, and Japan's healthcare system is far more like the U.S. model. 
So yeah. th- there is that in his favor, uh, yeah, yeah. In, in favor of that. Um, you know, besides that, you know, pro wrestling by its very nature has a baked in amount of bullshit as part of it. So there, it, it's always possible that yeah. this is complete horseshit too. Yeah. And I feel like this won't be the time we mention things that might be complete horseshit when we talk about certain people uh, on this show. Oh, yeah. There's going to uh, be a lot of... There's going to be some horseshit discussed here. <laughs> so let's hop in the Wayback Machine because uh, the, the reason Jeffrey is on here, the reason we're here with a special episode is that we are talking about a very special, historically unique event that occurred in 1995, that being the Collision in Korea event, uh, officially known as the Pyongyang International Sports and Culture Culture Festival for Peace just rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Indeed. <laughs> um, which was which saw talent from New Japan Pro Wrestling and World Championship Wrestling uh, cross the and, and, and all Japan, Japan women. Yeah, of don't course. Uh, cross the border into North Korea uh, as kind of part uh, diplomatic event. Oh yeah, of course. Lee has just signaled me there that we haven't <laughs> talked about our beer. Well, I, I, actually, there was one last thing I wanted to, to mention as a positive note okay, in Japan go. right now is that as of yesterday, um, or maybe it was Friday, depending on time zones, uh, the Moderna and AstraZeneca vaccines have been approved for use in Japan now. Yeah. So maybe yeah. we'll finally get past this 1% vaccination rate that japan has so yeah and actually speaking of which i yeah uh the pause was taken off the the astrazeneca for people who had already had the first dose in our country so i'll be getting my second dose in the next few weeks now i, I i'm sorry to drag us further on to off topic but i i do work <laughs> oh that's what we do around here i, yeah. I, I do work for a medical <laughs> i do work for a medical clinic so i had to ask yeah. how does that work because if you don't get it in that amount of time doesn't the first dose wear off so you have to get a do you have to get a third dose then too so so what happened was there was there's kind of uh, there's a built-in thing from what i understand from the way it was covered is that what they say is eight to twelve weeks but they padded in uh if like something were to happen they padded in an extra couple of weeks before the first dose really starts to lose effect so they kind of what they told us was because of the like the couple of cases of uh blood clots on the lungs that had happened i think in scandinavia somewhere they were putting a pause on the astrazeneca one until they could get to the bottom of it and then letting people know so i am only at about eight weeks since my first one so I will probably get mine within the 12, but they had said that it was safe to extend it to 16 weeks to, to buy some time. Um, so, yeah, now, thankfully, I, I, I didn't get all 16 Now, weeks. here we had an issue with the Johnson & Johnson one dose. They were saying that there were blood clots happening with that one, too, yeah. in, like, in women. Um, but I don't. I think they may have put t- taken the pause off of that one too. Yeah, I think when they, I, I think it was around the time they realized that. I think like uh, it, it didn't create blood clots at a higher rate than things like the contraceptive pill or um, or just the general level of population. Because uh, I think it was out of all the millions that had, it, I think there was three cases or something like that in in Sweden. I I want to say it was Sweden. It was one of the Scandinavian countries Mm -hmm. anyway. Uh, But anyway, full steam ahead, and hopefully I'll be fully vaccinated soon enough. Um, But yeah, uh, let's talk about our beers. Uh, We will go to Lee first. Uh, I'm keeping it simple tonight. I just got uh, Guinness, a lovely pint of Guinness in front of me. 
<laughs> this isn't going to take very long because oh, I no. also have a Guinness <laughs> because I wanted to get my uh, my Rebel Red. I hadn't had them in ages. I had a few cans left in the fridge, devastated as I turned the can upside down and it, they were gone off. Oh, no. Ooh, yeah, so uh... luckily I had had some Guinness left over from Paddy's Day uh, and that's what I went with. Uh Jeffrey, our, our esteemed guest, what do you got? Well, uh, usually I go with a locally brewed uh, deal, but uh, not today because uh, it has been uh, kind of hot, uh, humid, and swarthy here in the Chicago area. So I have a delicious <laughs> Dob Radler. Oh, lovely. Uh, awesome. Dob, uh, the, the Dortmunder Octium Brauerei from, straight from Dortmund, Germany. And... Uh, it it is sadly not Rattler oh. weather here. <laughs> oh, I love I love me some Rattlers. Yeah, actually, the Dob uh... find the Dob Rattler. It is the best Rattler I've ever had. Mm. Uh, yeah, it is it is wet and miserable here. I yeah. haven't even got the curtain. It was open. funny. What's There's funny no is that Dob is considered like a cheap beer here. It's like four you know four bucks for four cans in, Sh- yeah. in the Chicago Jesus. area. That's dangerous. So, I, I don't know. I don't know what they. I don't know what it runs for in Europe, but you know, thank th- thank you to the to the Dortmunder Octium Brauerei for this wonderful Rattler. I, I think it's it's one of those things where it's at a even if it wasn't that great at that kind of value, you're not going to complain too much. Nah. We we used to have uh, when I was in college, we used to have an off license around the corner, and they used to have cans of Bavaria Lager and can and bottles of MGD for a euro each. Oh wow! And it was just like I didn't like MGD that much, but I'll tell you what, for a euro, I'll, for euro, I'll, I'll yeah. take it. <laughs> you know what? I'll tell you what. Similar similar thing. I mean, it, it, you know, Little Caesars Pizza is not great. But when you are poor and you got kids to feed, that five dollar yeah. take and eat pizza is oh yeah, <laughs> are, you, you, you need that, you know. Are they the, the ones that do the large square ones, or are they, who is what? No, that's, some... that's um, that's not Domino's. It's the other one. It's uh, Papa John's. Papa, oh, okay. Well, no, I, I think no, I think no. Uh, they uh, Will Caesars does the 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 the, the crazy bread. Ah, okay. Yeah. yeah, it's I've still having only been to the states twice. I still have quite a few to knock off the the fast food uh, hit list. Uh, that you I know, I'm amazingly, I, when I was in Leeds and in, in Carlisle, I did not in London. I did not do any fast food. Yeah. At all. I, I went to a barbecue place in Leeds that was actually pretty good and it had a good ring on it. It was called Reds. I, I, I recommend it. Even though I have to say that they serve burgers and steaks there, which any barbecue place in the United States would not serve burgers and steaks. <laughs> yeah. it's a, You'll get that over here a lot, like chain re- restaurants that are supposed to do a specific type of food, but they will also have the normal food because I think something that is uh, quite uh, UK and Ireland dad is that, no, I'm not having any of this fancy shite. I'm going to have my meat and my potatoes and I don't want any sauce on it. Thank you very much. <laughs> so you have to get the real plain Jane. So you'll be in a, like a Chinese restaurant, I was or just Japanese say restaurant. I'll be <laughs> oh all this authentic, God. authentic Asian cuisine. And then right at the end, burger and chips. Sausage uh, and chips for the kids. <laughs> yeah. yeah, oh yeah. My God. Ch- chicken goujons and chips. Yeah. Yeah. That oh kind of goodness. stuff. 
It's great. Uh, but yeah, look, uh, let's not delete Ali any further. We're here to talk about collision in Korea. The reason we are here to talk about it is because uh, this week it was the subject of the latest episode of Dark Side of the Ring. And before we get into the specific episode, um, I, I know we've been watching along, Lee, but what have you thought of uh, season three so far? I think it's been very good. I thought... Um... The Pillman stuff, while not going as in depth into certain parts of his career, I thought was very well done. Like, like the stuff you find out that you may not have known. I think, I think mostly for non fans, it's the perfect show. Yeah, for really getting into as it's called, like the dark side of wrestling. Yeah. Um, but like for you know fans like us, fucking you know that internet fans, mm. um, like the, you're not going to learn a lot that you don't already know. Yeah. Um. But well, no, I've I've really enjoyed the season. So we've we've had Pillman, Nick, uh, Gage, Nick Gage, and yeah. then this was well, this was Turbin, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, because yeah. Pillman was two par. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jeffrey, like like uh, Lee said there, you know, there's not a whole hell of a lot in in some of these shows that we don't know. But something I found in season three in particular, I think the way that they research and craft the story, I'm finding has improved with time. And I'm sure uh, it's no coincidence that one of the people that's on the staff now for researching is one David Bixenspan, who is known for his exhaustive research. Yeah, he he does do the research. Um... Yeah, I mean, I, I have, I, I saw the Nick Gage episode too, and mm. uh, I, I don't have Vice, so I don't, uh, yeah. I, I don't, I, I, I had to go actually go to <clears throat> sources to, uh, to watch this one. <laughs> you but, had to uh, purchase this. Yeah, but, um, yeah, the, uh, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed the Nick Gage one, and uh, so yeah, that 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 was all good. So I, I, like I said, I haven't watched every episode of the show. I've watched a, a couple here and there, you know, as yeah. as you know, the topics interest me, you know? Yeah. Obviously this one, I <laughs> pretty relevant to my interests. So yeah. Uh, yeah. It doesn't get more up your strata than this. I, I would, I would dare say, uh, but this, um, this show follows through one of the threads, um, that I've been noticing all season and, and kind of sometimes in season two as well. Um, and that being when Eric Bischoff is mm. on the screen, uh, He's lying. Heavy, <laughs> yeah, heavy pinches of salt must be handy. Yeah, there's, uh, there's a couple of things I'm going to call bullshit on this. So uh... yeah, <laughs> uh, and I think there is a particular level I haven't noticed in a few episodes of like where almost every talking head in this I'm suspicious of. Uh, to one level or another how much they are working us in this that said it's still a very entertaining episode i thought mm-hmm. um uh, and uh just interesting as well because this is one of the ones where ah look i know the broad strokes about it but like uh getting the kind of stories from them while they're over there however heightened they may or may not be was still an interesting perspective because i've heard other people write about collision in korea but i haven't necessarily heard it from the the horse's mouth right Um, well i I will say this there there is one person in this who has absolutely zero to gain from working us so there there there, so there's one person i'm going to believe a hundred percent on this and I'll let you guess who that is as time goes on. Uh, so our talking heads for this episode, uh, we had Bischoff, we have Scott Norton, 
we have Too Cold Scorpio. Uh, we have, incredibly, uh, Antonio Inoki. Yes. Uh, who I was just like, when I saw the, the night it was airing uh, over on Vice TV and I saw people putting up screenshots, I could not believe that they'd gotten Inoki. And obviously this must have been before his most recent downturn in health that they had gotten him um, interviewed. Yeah. But it was cool getting him in there um, for that because otherwise the the only like uh, non-American uh, you would have had was Sonny Ono uh, in it who was like, again, you want to talk about guys who like the worker klaxon goes off every time <laughs> the man's on screen. <laughs> well, well sh- sh- should we blow the spoiler now of who-, who was the talking head that was not working us at all? Yeah, go for it. Go, be, go for it. it would be former CNN foreign correspondent Mike Chinoy. Yeah, he was he was good. I, I like I just as this guy who was like I happened to be the correspondent at the time and I got to watch all this bullshit unfold. He was yeah, like crazy. well, I, I'm gonna talk it. I'm gonna talk at him. I'm gonna praise him highly later on in mm. the program. So, so to get the the Japanese perspective first to kind of get the origin of this and the part of the documentary where they talk about it, uh, Jeff. They they mention how um, Enoki ever the politician in so many ways uh, was a man who was known to frequent over to, to North Korea. And this suggestion came, came out of, of doing a, a pro wrestling event over there. And I think it's safe to say, uh, and it is reflected as such in the documentary, uh, running a pro wrestling show in Pyongyang was a controversial decision to say the least. Yeah. So, um, so Antonio Inoki was, of course, an elected official during this time, as well as being an active wrestler. Um, yeah. He, he did, I mean, as weird as he, as it was, he was very inspired by someone else who's going to come up quite a bit in this, uh, Muhammad Ali. Yeah. A, a, as far as his, his mission. And, I mean, for, for example, um, in 1990, he actually went to Baghdad. And successfully negotiated the release of of hostages in Baghdad, who, who were you know Japanese hostages. And yeah. as part of this, they New Japan ran a show in Baghdad, but also uh, Inoki converted to Shia Muslim, to Shia Islam as well. His, his yeah. actual legal name now is Muhammad Hussein Inoki. So, yeah, uh, okay, I never That's knew wild. that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, um, so he, he was. But, you know, he, he was a politician and he was coming up on a re-election year. So yeah. he, he formed, you know, he, he formed this sort of sports and peace party to, mm. you know, go do, dipl- you know, uh, you know, off the grid diplomatic missions for North Korea. Uh, the Japanese government was not happy about this at all. Yeah. Um... And um, yeah. And it, well, we'll we'll talk about what. We'll talk about the the end result of that, but yeah, this was part of you know Inoki's mission was you know to foster peace because uh, as we're going to find out, uh, Japan and North Korea have a little bit of a history, and uh, we'll, we'll we'll get into that in a little more detail. Not much, but a little. Yeah, um, and then like Lee to go to to you from the American side and Bischoff seeing the 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 optics of this situation and being able to get one over on Vince McMahon. It didn't seem like there was a question in his mind about it, but I couldn't help while watching the documentary and then watching the show think about, um, my God, 
a large American company going over to put on a show that they're saying is a diplomatic effort in what would be considered a hostile uh, country. I can't imagine any current day parallels I could draw between large American companies going over to foreign lands where uh, people may not want them to go. Can you? <laughs> I ain't touching that one. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I, uh, sorry about that. Yeah. Uh, listen, I ain't touching that one. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, and especially that bit at the end where they started saying about, oh, we couldn't wait to get back on the plane. I was like, God, where, where have I heard that before? Uh, <laughs> Uh, um, yeah so Bischoff (laughs) Um, but yeah now look I can totally understand why Bischoff from his point of view was all over this because yeah he sees this he sees this as a chance to one up Vince McMahon yeah that's that's all he sees this as right it's safe to say the man's life in this in this decade was defined by uh, mm-hmm. If it gets now, one over Vince McMahon, I don't care about any morals or anything. Right. Now, it should be noted, though, and, and, and Bishop did say this at the very beginning of his statement, was that, you know, one of the things he did was actually reestablish good relations between mm-hmm. um, WCW and New Japan. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, there was that. I mean, obviously, we've seen, you know, the evidence of this because, you know, you know. New Japan guys kept coming over to, uh, you know, WCW and vice versa. And we're going to see some folk that were, are going to enter into this. Um, So, uh, yeah, so there was that. So it was actually Inoki who invited Bischoff. Yes. Um, And and it was great. So then you kind of get in the documentary, you get the right. Okay. Let's it's like the part of the movie where it's like, Oh, who's in the squad. And uh, they talk about how Inoki wanted, you know, they were talking about celebrities in discussions like Michael Jackson and things like that. But uh, Inoki, as you had kind of alluded to there, Jeff wanted Muhammad Ali. And this was the, the first large klaxon goes off because there isn't a world in which I think, um, Bischoff just casually picks up the phone. I think there are channels he has to. It's not as simple mm-hmm. as he's got Muhammad Ali on speed dial and he's taking every well, one of his calls. See, no, wait a uh, minute. But, but I was did, thinking about this. Yeah, yeah. Didn't, didn't uh, Ali has guested on WCW yeah. programming before? Yes, he but has. I was just going to say. I think Hogan's agent or manager. What was, what was his name? Home Henry Holmes, wasn't it? Wasn't he one of Hogan's? Hogan had the same manager as George Foreman. And, yeah, and I'm pretty sure. Ali was, if not the same manager, I'm pretty sure they would have been friendly. So, so I'm sure it was true, Hogan. So, so yeah, it was probably Bischoff called Hogan, who called his manager, who called, called Ali. Yeah. Rather than Bischoff just going, oh, my pal. I have Muhammad Ali yeah, somewhere, yeah. yeah. Right, you but, know, one of our many social events that we attend together. But but at the same time, again, they may have already had his number because, again, Ali had guested yeah. on W... Because I remember a story that Mick Foley told in his book in his first book about how Jake Roberts pretty much just no sold Muhammad Ali with the excuse of, Hey, I have to show up here the next day. He doesn't, you know? Mm. So, um, so it, it's possible so, that there were Hogan may not have had to do with that. It could have been yeah. something that Turner had, a, had an end with. 
the 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 thing I would definitely uh, come closer to believing that Bischoff said was uh, the conversation that happened when he asked Hogan, uh, which is the most Hulk Hogan thing in the world, uh, where Anoki wanted Hogan, obviously Hogan, the biggest star in wrestling, and uh, Bischoff relays the conversation he had to him, where he's like, "We're going to have this show in Pyongyang, and Anoki wants you to come to us," and he just said, "I can't make that one, brother." Okay, <laughs> which is... so okay, so there's a little bit of context that was lost on this. In, yeah. in this pit, which was two years prior, uh, Hogan had actually gone and worked uh, wrestling Don Taku mm-hmm. in 1993 in New Japan uh, out as a completely independent booking because um, he was kind of like being shuffled off to the side in WWF at the time because I think this was about the time of the, the you know the, the the Senate hearings and all that. Um, so. At the time, Hogan had given two interviews completely trashing the WWF title at the yeah. time. And at one point actually said, uh, hey, Adoki, when your schedule you know, in the Senate clears up, I want another match. Yeah. So that could have been a payoff to that. Was this the period during which was that he called the WWF title like a trinket or something? Yeah, he toy. called it a, call yeah. it a toy. He called it a, a, yeah. a, a Christmas. The IWGP trinket. is the only title that's worth anything. Yeah, and he yeah. yeah after having just beaten the IWGP champion at the time, you know Keiji Muto, the great Muto. F- funny how he said that after he beat him, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> now the one I have now is the most important, not the one I'm not allowed to have anymore. Yeah. yeah. So that. Yeah. So you know, I, 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 there's a distinct possibility Inoki had that in mind because Hogan did, yeah. you know, two years prior call out Inoki. So yeah. L- listen, the only reason Hogan wasn't on this show is because he would have had to do a job. Uh, <laughs> or I, I was gonna say is like maybe he couldn't well, make that one because the money wasn't right, bro. But but <laughs> wait a minute, hang on, Lee. Again, context is missing here. Hogan was very loyal to Inoki. This is true. He that was is true. Very loyal to I mean to the point where when Hogan was in the AWA, which at the time had a, a working relationship with with Giant oh, Baba in all Japan, yeah. Hogan was still taking New Japan dates. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I mean I know we all want to think the worst of Hogan, and you know what? Ninety nine percent of the time that's true. <laughs> but in <Yeah>. this particular <laughs> instance, I don't think Hogan would have had a problem yeah. laying down to Anogi uh, because he uh, respect because of him and you know Hiro Matsuda. He he has great respect for that. Yeah, I was gonna say that I I would love to be in the room in a hypothetical discussion where Hogan says I can't lay down for your brother to Anoki. Uh he would have sl- slapped him right there. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> slapped the piss out of him. It would have been great. Um Muhammad Ali is on board. Uh, you know, as Bischoff points out, he was a guy who throughout his life was noted as using the idea of sport to kind of cross boundaries, be a peacemaker. He wanted his legacy to be more than you know, uh, it's funny when you say more than just like the greatest boxer who ever lived, as if that's a kind of you know, just we just we just put that thing to the a side. cultural icon. Ah, yeah. no, he's a bit more. Yeah, I know. He's not happy with that. Didn't want to rest on his laurels. Well, um, if we're talking about Inoki, uh, I mean, he does. I mean, I think being with Ali really affected him because yeah. let's face it, Muhammad Ali. I mean, you know. Remember when 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 Ali was drafted, he, the first thing he said was, well, "No Viet Cong ever called me, you know, the N bomb, you mm-hmm. know." So I mean, I I I, I think I'll, being around Ali really really affected Inoki. Yeah, and do you know what? As well is the thing that I, like the, my favorite stuff in this Dark Side of the Ring episode was the Ali stuff. 
it was like that stuff was so cool. There was like oh, yeah. footage of him in the airport, which we'll get to in a second. But then also the story of him, you know, when they're out on the day of the event and him setting off on a run, which we'll also talk about. I don't want to get to the real good juicy stuff uh, before time. But uh, I thought the Ali stuff in this was uh, it was unexpected how much stuff they got. And it was great. Um but uh, if we talk about the wrestlers who actually went, because we, we need to remember this actually was uh, supposed to be a wrestling event. From the WCW side of things, Lee, who uh, was making the trip? Okay, so we had on the WCW side, hang on, I need to pull up my notes. Uh, we had, um, Benoit was New Japan, wasn't he? He was, still wasn't quite WCW at this side. Who's that? Uh, Benoit. Yeah, Benoit was still Wild Pegasus. Yeah, still Wild yeah. Pegasus. And yeah. actually, uh, so, so was Scorpio, Scorpio was as well. Yeah, that's yeah. what I was going to say. And, he wasn't WCW. And Norton. Yeah. Norton was in New okay. Japan yeah. at the time too. Yeah, Norton <laughs> was very much New Japan. I like. I, it was really funny how he was just like, yeah, I just fell into this pro wrestling stuff. <laughs> I, was, I was an arm wrestling guy. <laughs> but um, very much it felt like Bischoff was trying to claim that, uh, you know, Benoit was one of the WCW uh, no, the, the, guys the, the, that was coming out. Some of the guys there were, were kind of just going back and forth. Like, yeah. we're also going to get, you know, Road Warrior Hawk. Yeah, so it was Hawk, would, Hawk, the Steiners. Yeah, you know, Stein, Steiners uh, were going back and forth too. Because and uh, Flair, and that that was it. Like that's the whole WCW side, isn't it? Yeah, and and then from uh, New Japan and All Japan Women, Jeff, who did we have? Okay, so we have um, Hiro Saito, Masahiro Chono, uh, Black Cat, Victor Marmanuel, El Samurai, uh, Wild Pegasus, Chris Benoit, Two Cold Scorpio, Scott Norton, um, Akira Nogami. Uh, Takayuki Izuka, Tadao Yasuda, which holy Jesus, I can't wait to talk about him. <laughs> uh, Hiroshi Hase, Kensuke Sasaki, uh, Shinjiro Otani, the then IWGP heavyweight champion, um, Shinya Hashimoto, and then, uh, then Young Lions, Yuji Nagata, and Tokimitsu Ishizawa, which we'll talk about them coming up here because they're yeah now most of the names i'm giving have and do not enter into the documentary whatsoever but also yeah. from all japan women's uh we have bull nakano akira hokuto manami toyota and uh, mariko yoshida and that was a shame really that the the women got like fairly completely overlooked in this um i i think well i i'll save it for afterwards yeah but... um but uh, they they talk then about uh, making the trip over. Uh, and like, I think the first red flag that flew for a lot of the Americans in particular, uh, Two Gold Scorpio is talking at first about how, you know, he's able to see the cannons, then the demilitarized zone, and then the cannons pointing the other way as he goes over the border, that they were in a, a, a plane that I believe was described as being from the 60s or the 40s well, or 40s, well, I think it was. Well, hold on, <laughs> you, you, you're missing a couple of things here That, that before, okay. before that. First of all, Scott Norton was talking when he was in the New Japan locker room and the oh, yes. word of the show oh, yeah, yeah. came down <laughs> and the Japanese uh, folk were, were chattering. So Tiger Hitori, you know, the, the, res, the refereeing official mm -hmm. and uh, and Masa Saito, who by this point was mostly behind the scenes. Um, they made an offer to the, the locker room and everybody was chit chattering. And then uh, Scott asked Chono what was going on. And then he goes, you know, he wants to go to North Korea. They want us dead. But 
hang on to that fact because there there is some context that is really missing here so because <laughs> that's the thing like uh scott norton very much tells it like he had no idea that there was any problem between the <laughs> Japanese and North Korean. Well, like, you know, very well, much like, yeah. oh, what are you talking about? So, <laughs> and the other thing you're missing here is that Bischoff discussing how they would have to get all this, you know, they would have to go through the U.S. government to get, yeah. you know, approval, which, you know, in all this, which could take months. So WCW so just, just kind of went anyway. Yeah. <laughs> which is very WCW. It's just like, ah, look, you know. Rather, you know, beg forgiveness oh, and ask permission. We're, we're, just, we're just going to Japan. That's all they said. Like, yeah, yeah. Right. And that's, Japan, and, that's exactly what, miss. and that's exactly what they did. They flew into Narada in in, would, uh, in, in Tokyo and then would, went into a military transport from North Korea. Hang on, hang on. That's all, all that's fine if you ignore the fact that at the same time, CNN were sending a guy to North Korea. <laughs> yeah, who was probably... Who was covering this wrestling show <laughs> yeah. with the Americans on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So to say, well, the, again, the, the, would sooner or later put two and two together. So to say, the American government didn't know that American wrestlers were going to be in North Korea, I think is be the first bit of BS. Well, yeah. again, this is Eric Bischoff we're talking about here. So. Yeah, you would you would believe I, either possibility that Bischoff lied to the American government or Bischoff is lying about lying to the American government. That's easy for you. Yeah. Um, something else that I wanted to mention about the, the flight that you reminded me of there was Scott Norton laughing because he's just like, oh, it was so funny. Flair was freaking out about how bad the plane was. And I'm like, fucking of course he was. Like, the dude nearly died in the plane crash. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, exactly. Like, right? If anybody, if anybody on that flight now, was like... Now, you know, the, the description of the military transport being from the 1960s, I can completely fucking believe because in 1990, I had the <clears throat> privilege of flying Aerofloat within the oh, Soviet... God. Within the Soviet Union. Oh, dear. Fuck. <laughs> Yeah. So yeah. Um, one thing we did miss though was in 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 Narada, Muhammad Ali doing magic tricks. Oh my God, that was that. Yeah, the first bit of gold from mm-hmm. um, from Ali. So uh, Scott Norton talks about how we're in the airport, and can I just say, great footage of Scott Steiner in normal clothes here. Oh yeah, <laughs> airport. That was a trip, but. Um, they're like, oh, yeah, no, there was a gaggle of people around us in the airport. And then all of a sudden there's like a hubbub over the other side of the room. And like they get deserted by the press because Ali is there. And then Ali walks up to them and starts doing magic tricks. And obviously this is like Ali has been diagnosed that he's clearly like ailing from from Parkinson's at this point. Um, and it's one of the things, isn't it, that some that people with Parkinson's get like they 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 get told to do things like uh, close up magic and things like that to keep the the kind of um, to to keep their their limbs active and distracted by things. Um, from what I understand, it's something they do. Um, they also do like the you know coin tricks and things like that. They're encouraged to learn. Um, so yeah, it's great just watching the wrestlers absolutely like the biggest smiles you've ever mm-hmm. seen on the faces of like Scott Norton uh, and Scott Steiner and that as uh, Ali with the biggest smile on his face is doing uh, magic tricks for them in the airport, which I got to imagine guys, the most surreal thing you'll ever see in your life. Like Muhammad Ali walks up to you and starts doing magic tricks. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. That, that, that has to be like something that, you know, even if it wasn't captured on film, 
that's something that you'll never forget. Like, yeah, uh, that's that's one of those stories that like you never have to buy a drink for yourself the rest of your life. It's like you walk up to the bar and let me tell you about the story about the time Muhammad Ali did magic tricks for me in, <laughs> in Japan, <laughs> in Japan, <laughs> on the way to North Korea. <laughs> like that's just bizarre. Um, oh my god. It's, so, it's like the, the, the dancing Homer episode of The Simpsons. Yeah. Ah, tell it, tell it again. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, you get you, you get the feeling, Jeff, that I think uh, some of the wrestlers felt more calm and assured because they were like, um, you know, they're worried about North Korea. They're worried about the security threat. They're worried whether they'll be let out of the country. But there's kind of in their heads, they're like, look, if Muhammad Ali is with us, it can't go that badly wrong. Like they're not going to imprison Muhammad Ali. It will become a massive incident. Um, they seem to be kind of like trying to rationalize to themselves. Oh yeah, like, why they'll get out of it safely. Mm, 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 mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, yeah. so yeah, they're on this military transport. Yeah, and the 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 first thing they they have to once they they get a very unsafe sounding flight and they they land in North Korea. They're essentially escorted then to a memorial for the dear leader who had, who had recently passed. Uh, and they're essentially forced to pay homage with the, the North Korean press there, uh, filming it as if the, the wrestlers are there and were desperate to get over there to pay their respects. Uh, and oh, yeah. yeah. Little... Ric Flair talking about how, how, how greatly honored they were. Uh, yeah. Again, you miss something, though. You miss a detail. Oh. What happens there's, when they land in there's just, there's, there's so much happening in this. Their passports were seized. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They're, not only their passports were seized, but like their bags were opened up and like anything that was like overtly American or, or, or anything like that was, was just taken away from them. Yeah. And, and at this I point, think, at, at this yeah. point is when we get Mike Chinoy from CNN involved here. And he actually does go a little bit into, he, he said there was hostility. You know, between uh, Japan and North Korea. And then we get Sonny Ono making yeah. an appearance. And then we finally find out why there's such animosity. It's <laughs> because uh, Japan were brutal colonialists sorry, uh, in North Korea in the first half of the 20th century. Yeah. It, it was um, a particularly brutal reign. Yeah, which was like I, you know, you get Mike Chinoy. He's like, uh, he he brings a bit of the detail there, but at the same time, that's twinned with Bischoff being very hand wavy about. It. It's like, ah, oh, they've been killing each other for thousands of years. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay, it, which is true, but you know, yeah. it, you know, recency bias, I guess. You know, yeah. when you know, in, in Japan in its imperial phase in the first part of the twentieth century, mm. you know, it, a lot of people don't really at this point don't remember how much of assholes that Japan were to the rest mm -hmm. of Asia in, in the first, yeah. it, it, well, it, it, for, you know, going back to the 1800s too. It's just know? that post-World War II, Japan really opened up to, yeah. to the West. Right? Yeah, the, the, well, the, people's impression of Japan is that it's always been the, the modern interpretation of Japan that people in the West right. understand well, now, there's whereas lot, it very much wasn't. Yeah, well, I also think there's a lot of, you know, infantilization that people have towards Japan too, like mm -hmm. their, their attitudes, so, you yeah. know. Because actually, and I know we're kind of jumping around a little bit here, but one of the things that, um, so you're getting a lot of what the North Koreans' perspective on the Americans and the Japanese are, but there is a little story in here 
uh, that I'll shoot to Jeff for because it's more in his wheelhouse uh, that illustrates how the the uh, North Koreans are treated in Japan. Uh, and that is the story of uh, Inoki's mentor, Ricky Dozan, and what happened to him. Right. Well, actually, that's one of the things I had to take issue with. Yeah. Which was, and we're kind of jumping around, but I mean, uh, but it, it gives context, a lot of context of how Inoki was successful was successfully able to run this show too. Yeah. Is because Inoki was Inoki and Giant Baba for that matter were, you know, uh they they were trainees and disciples of uh, of Ricky Dozan, um otherwise known as excuse me, let me get his full name here. I wasn't ready for this. I thought we were going to talk about him later. <laughs> Sorry. No, I thought we were going to talk about him later on cuz they didn't yeah, bring, I... they didn't bring him up until later on. Okay, yeah. So I just thought it was interesting to bring up in comparison to like how the, the 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 North Koreans felt about the Japanese and this is how the Japanese felt about the North Koreans. Right. Okay. So um his Japanese name was Mitsuhiro Mitsuhiro Momota. Ricky Dozan was actually his uh, sumo shinkona. Uh, the, the name that a sumo a, a riki a, a rikishi has to take um his government name was kim sinrock uh born in uh hongwon county in um in north korea mm. during the the time of japanese rule yeah so he was north korean by birth now the story that bischoff will tell later on about Ricky Dozan was the death of Ricky Dozan, which we all know he was stabbed uh, by Yakuza mm-hmm. in a street fight. Um, Bischoff made the claim that uh, it, it was it was racially motivated. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is that is not what the traditional story has been. The traditional story was that Ricky Dozan started the fight because he thought that uh, a, a Yakuza had stepped on his shoes. Yeah, I. I- and it feels like very much the 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 story Bischoff tells plays into the narrative very well. Yeah, you know what I mean. It, it goes to show it's like oh, it wasn't just one side. It's like the Japanese hated the North Koreans as well. Look what happened to Inoki's uh, mentor. Um, but like you say, it, it explains a lot as to how Inoki was able to make such headway with this show because over there his association with Ricky Dozan made him. Uh, I don't want to say quite revered, but definitely made him uh, more palatable to the, the the North Korean officials than just any other Japanese wrestler coming over and trying to get something right. like this done. And I, and I should I should mention about Ricky the death of Ricky Dozan. Um, the the guy who stabbed him, Katsushi Murata, uh, yearly he he did serve time for it. He served eight years, and then after that he would visit the grave of Ricky Dozan um, until. Until his death, uh, he died in uh, in April of 2013. Uh, he did become a high-ranking member of the Yakuza, but would also call, you know, Mitsuo Momota and uh, Ricky Dozan's other sons on a yearly basis to apologize mm. for what he'd done. Um, what do we have next? And so we had the they they went to the monument, um. And, and is it at this point that we started to, to hear that the, the the producers asked Bischoff about what did he know about Two Cold Scorpio, or is this when they? No, 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 no. I think that was, no, no, I think that was first... on the way to the show the first day, oh, okay, wasn't it? Okay, okay. no, no. The, the first thing was they were talking about all the the military escorts in the hotel, and then Scott Newton ah, yes. talked about the 
they couldn't get pool balls for two hours. Yeah. Oh, so, yes, so yeah, firstly, yeah. they talk about yeah, they talk about it. They get to the hotel and there's like um, their escorts are standing ten. So at first he's like, there's like this escort standing ten feet outside his door, and he he's inside. And there's a bit with uh, two gold Scorpio. They're talking about how like there's nothing to do in the hotel rooms because obviously they weren't allowed to bring their stuff. Anything that was too American was seized off them along with their passports. And uh, the only thing uh, that's on the TV is that there's three government-run channels that are all politics and propaganda. So there's nothing to do. We're going crazy. Uh, Scott Norton says that like he got fed up and he went to walk down to Hawk's room. He noticed that when he left his hotel room, his guy immediately started following him down the hall. And as he got close to Hawk's room, he realized there was a guy posted outside his room. And that's when the penny dropped that none of them were being left unsupervised uh, around this country, uh, except for one notable exception of uh, <laughs> an absolute idiot of a human being who tried to go for a run, who we'll mention in a moment. But yeah, this leads to this pool game where they're downstairs in the lobby and they notice a pool table which Scott Norton was like the last thing he was expecting in North Korea was a pool table so they decided to start playing some pool and it took him I think he said two hours to get the pool balls off the receptionist who would obviously have to go through channels is it okay if I can give them you know and they start playing the um game of pool and he you know the most believable thing in the world is that a bunch of meathead wrestlers playing pool it's not going to be very long before one of them hits the the cue ball too hard and it goes flying off the table <laughs> right and he said that like it, it fly it skips off the table and it makes this bouncing 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 across the marble floor and the, uh, apparently all the security and all the staff are staring at the wrestlers as if they've just committed a, a grave offense against the, the the regime in North Korea and the game was promptly ended and their cues and their balls taken away from them oh yeah um, it, it's insanity yeah, and it's safe to say, and it will play into uh, events later on, Lee, that uh, when everybody is being so regimentally watched and when nobody is allowed to do anything to pass the time or relax or anything like that, that uh, tensions are going to be quite high. Yeah, like I think at this point where they're after discovering, right, they're literally outside the door, they're watching everything we're doing. Yeah, We have none of our belongings. We have a pool table that we no longer use. Mm. You can't go outside. Yeah. Um, like they have to be on edge. Like yeah. they just tension, like you say, tension just had to be building and building and building. And I suppose we'll, we'll kind of cut to a couple of stories that, that happen later that are kind of related to that, what they're, they are and aren't allowed to do. And the first is Scott Norton again, who is, uh, he talks about how he calls his wife at home. And firstly, I was surprised at the idea that they even would have had phones in the room in the first place, phones capable of calling out to the States. But uh, he mentioned something about how the place is a shithole and uh, promptly his room, like the door is essentially bursts open and people come in and take the phone away from him and say he's not now, allowed to call home anymore. I, I know this was a recent interview. I, I am going to guess that that, uh, that that Turner phrase was influenced by a certain American president of, <laughs> of, of recent lineage. <laughs> so, eh, not great. But yeah, the, 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 this did lead to him. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the phone went dead and he thought his wife had hung up on him and then, oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and, and his wife had thought, like, he was saying that his wife was so pissed because he's like, he wasn't calling home. And he's, he's trying to explain to her, he's like, honey, you've no fucking idea what it's like here. It's like, <laughs> she thought he was basically on a jollier with the boys. Yeah. <laughs> well, in, well, in, I, in North Korea. Well, I, I, 
I would guess that she just assumed it was just like it was just like being on tour in New Japan again. It just know, Jap- another... a Japan trip, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because to that point, Jeff, I think something that really really became obvious very quickly into this is that wrestlers in their bubble and possibly that would extend to their families as well really had no fucking idea about North Korea or what they were getting themselves into. I feel if they had any sort of perspective at all, then none of them would have signed up for this. You know, it's... there is you hear stories where you're like, oh, it can't be that bad. You know, yeah. and, and, you know, to be fair too, I mean, at this point, Nobody was afraid of communism because, you know, by this point, the Soviet Union had fallen. Yeah, I, I, so, I was just going to say, I, th- I think in context... We were living like, in the end of history. Yeah, yeah. like, I, I think in context, like, you have to remember the the Soviet Union had fallen apart, like, less than five years previous. Yeah, Right. North Korea wouldn't have been getting this much Western uh, press about how, like, oppressive it was and... The people are like they're in like what forty five years of famine now or something at this stage. Yeah, yeah I mean, we, like, yeah, we, we, this we, stuff we, wasn't covered. No, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't, and, and it really wasn't. I mean, I remember. I mean, I was, I was in this, as I said earlier, I was in the Soviet Union when I was in August of nineteen ninety. You know, I was seventeen years old, accompanying my my father on a you know, on a decadent capitalist pig dog business trip, and. Business. Um, <laughs> No, no, there was business going on. Believe me, there was business going on. I was, I sat in on a couple of those meetings. There, there was some biz going on, yeah. and um, yeah. I mean, when I got there, I mean, it was just like you know, the second we, I, I, I had gone from we had gone from Frankfurt on Main to Moscow, and like it was just a a wall of filth when yeah. I got to my like Moscow was the dirtiest city I have ever been in. Hmm. But, you know, but, you know, at the same time, this is also two weeks after Boris Yeltsin had walked out of the Communist Party, too. So, yeah, nobody knew what the fuck was going on. And, you know, the the McDonald's had already been there for a year. The Pizza Hut and the Baskin Robbins had just opened up in the Arbot. You know, it was just, (laughs) you know. I, I think it's safe to say that, like, on a number of levels, like, kind of the the attention of, um current affairs in America was elsewhere because you're talking as well as as Lee mentioned the Soviet Union collapsing um a few years previously like we were only a, a, like a few years in the wake of Gulf War 1 yep uh, if i remember rightly like 95 we were still in the process if not just in the the recent fallout of the the whitewater scandal at home which is probably because that was like late 94 wasn't it that's the yeah, the Ken Starr investigation started, so that yeah. was probably taking up a lot of the 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 ink and newspapers. That 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 much was true. I think it, it maybe a little earlier than that, but uh, yeah, yeah. Um. So yeah, it, it it like more so than stuff now where you hear wrestlers being like flat earthers and shit like that. It's probably more excusable in a, in a more ignorant time in 1995 that they just didn't know because they weren't being educated uh, as to what was going on until apparently it was too late um, yeah. and they were already there. Um, so ahead. you you mentioned you know a couple of stories here. So we we talked about somebody going out for a jog. Oh my God, Bischoff. And this is one of those as well where, so uh, because it's Bischoff, I believe both possible versions. I believe 
that either he's lying because he thinks it's a funny story or that it's 100% true because he is a dumb person. Uh, uh, if he's lying, it's not the first time he's repeated this lie because as yeah. we'll learn, no, he it's, actually... in, it, it's in his book and he's, yeah. and he, he's, he, he's been, he, I think he's been saying it for so long. He actually look, believes it. I was going to say, cause this is also a guy who for 25, 30 years, uh, including on the dark side of the ring uh, series has convinced himself he was in on the Pillman work yeah. uh, for him getting his release. Uh, right. You know, you can sing that song as many times as you want, Easy, and we are not buying it. Yeah. Now, look, yeah. uh, look, we've just had Scott Norton and Scorpio say there was attendance outside our room. Like, yeah. So is he saying he left a hotel where there wasn't just his own attendant yeah. and his own attache? Yeah. You know, translator. There was also everybody else's. Yeah. As well as a receptionist. So, so this is well, g- g- I- given that. Bischoff was an executive and he was probably getting vouched for by Anoki and Ali. It, it's uh, possible. I don't know. I, I don't believe it. It's, well, it, it, it's, it's possible. I'm not saying yeah, likely possible. or it did happen, but it's <laughs> yeah. possible. So so Bischoff's version of events anyway is that he very early in the morning, he was a man who liked to go for a run because we know like he was serious about his fitness and his martial arts in the 90s. So he was a guy who believably would want a bit of exercise to clear his head when things were so tense and oppressive around there. So he says he gets his tracksuit on and he goes for his run. Uh, and he says that like, you know, uh, as he's running, the streets are deserted, but the sun is coming up. And as it's happening, people are starting to come out on the streets and look at him with, with a gasp of horror. Uh, and, you know, either part like the Red Sea or just not approach him at all. And he saw children with like a look of terror on their faces because, you know, whether it's an exaggerated story or not, he is right to point out that like, you know, North Korean propaganda, uh, you know, has been painting uh, the Americans as enemies for, for generations and the majority of North Korean citizens will have never seen an American in person uh, in their lives. Uh, so seeing this sacred enemy running at them all of a sudden probably would be a bit of an uh, anxiety-inducing experience, uh, I would say. Because I, I don't think it was too far from this time Um where the the official line, I can't remember the exact quote, but there's a line about the Americans being our sworn enemy of 100 years under whom we shall not share the same sky for very much longer. Yeah. Uh, when the <laughs> rhetoric really started toning up in the early mm-hmm. 2000s. Um, so yeah, um, you, you've said, you, you you've both shared your takes there, whether you think it's real or not. But uh, it the one, the one thing I... The one thing I will say, Jeffrey, is that like it is very much plausible that um, they would be terrified of seeing. I- I'd be terrified of Bischoff running at me, even with the context of. Okay. <laughs> I'll tell you what. I'll say this. I think it's possible he ran the streets, but there is no way he didn't have accompaniment. Yeah. I, I can't imagine that. Yeah, I can't imagine they they would have let that go. But even then, that may not have been the craziest shit that went on. Yeah. Uh, so speaking of the crazy shit that went on, a running theme throughout <laughs> this this thing is, and it starts off with a very uh, fun question from the uh, the interviewers. And again, you want to talk about somebody who's working. Like, there's no way in this smaller group did Bischoff not know anything about this. But he's asked, uh, did you know anything about how uh, Too Cold Scorpio was planning to murder Hawk on this trip? And he goes... <laughs> Not till right now. And I'm like, horse shit. Fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> That's like, been, that, you... that has been on the internet sleaze list. That has been the, yeah. on the wrestling sleaze list since 
forever. And so is something Since else. Angel and, so is something, and so is something else <laughs> about this show that does not make the documentary. Yeah, uh, we, 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 well, maybe we'll go to that <laughs> after this bit. But this is, uh, Lee, the, the epic story that Bischoff claims he had no idea of, of uh, Tuchel Scorpio trying on a couple of occasions to murder Hawk. Yeah, so can I just say... I... As distinct from the murder Hawk monster, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I fully believe that Scorpio would have fucked up Hawk on that bus if he didn't get stopped um, like I know Norton says at one point you know oh Mike was on withdrawals from this drug he was on interferon for, for yeah, yeah for some he's, got, he's got to he's got to uh, make excuses for his boy I think yeah no, and look I get it I get it it's his friend but, but yeah, and I do think there there are a couple of elements of uh, two holes story where I think okay I think he's he's really hamming it up here a little yeah. bit like he says he says he took a full full Free shot from Hawk. I yeah. don't think you did on stage. Yeah. Well, well, okay, so <laughs> where were you? So basically us. said that like he had pulled his eye back like it was an elastic <laughs> band and he's gonna go wah, 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 wah. <laughs> I mean, you've seen the Vader Hansen match, right? Yeah, yeah, I was gonna exactly. say, shades of Stan Hansen. But uh, but also, I mean, so we're missing some of the again some of the context here. So that Two Cold Scorpio had actually had some heat with Ric Flair going back yeah. a couple of years, and at one yeah. point Flair had come on the bus. I think he was just looking for. Someone to ride with him. No, and no, it, it was it was Hawk had been riding with Flair, right? And Hawk decided on this day for whatever reason. I oh, know I'm going to be on the bus with the rest of the boys. So Flair is standing outside the hotel or wherever they were being kept, kind of looking around for somebody, whether it's his car or the bus or whatever. And Hawk is like, "God, oh, tell them to come on here." And uh, Scorpio from like a couple of rows back, according to the the dramatization, <laughs> says. Fuck that guy, leave him on his fuck, own. He says, fuck that pussy. Yeah, fuck that <laughs> <laughs> Which is like, yeah, you know. But um, Hawk, of course, takes exception to this because him and Flair are boys and says, what did you say? And uh, Scorp breaks it down and says, I don't know what your problem is. Did you not understand the fuck that guy part or the pussy part? <laughs> <laughs> and it all kicks off from there. Uh, and yeah. then Hawk calls him yeah, the N-bomb, which I don't know... It's amazing how this keeps happening amongst uh, foreign workers on New yeah. Japan shows because this is, you know, this this is the, the Andre and Bad News Allen story, you know. That, oh, yeah, I, God, I will, yeah. I will say as well, the, <laughs> this is one bit of the story I don't doubt was uh, Hawk's use of the N bomb because yeah. as much as much as <laughs> yeah. Scott Norton Scott Norton is trying to downplay whether uh, Tuchel got the best of him or you know he's on interferon or whatever, he very much glosses over whether he did or did yeah. not say that. So you know, Scott is like, okay, right, he said some things. <laughs> I think he said something to the effect of like they exchanged words and that's about as far as he gets into yeah. us. Um, yeah. So there's, oh, there's, oh, there's there, that's the first thing. And then there's, um, they're, they're at a restaurant. They're, they're having their food and uh, <laughs> too cold is like calmly explaining how it's like, I'm going to eat my, my food with one chopstick and I'm going to pocket the other one and I'm going to make a shit. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> yeah, so once he says, he says, we're, we're there eating our food with chopsticks. He said, ah, oh, you know, I just casually drop one, bend down, pick it up, put it in my pocket. And then yeah. it says, you know, so I'm going, I get more chopsticks and next thing I drop my other one, put that in my other pocket. Yeah. And he's like, so we go back to the room and he says, you know, I'm sharing with, with Benoit. And he says, uh, so, you know, you open the window and it's like these concrete 
slabs like concrete wall outside the window and uh, he says so I take out the, the chopsticks and like the good he said you know they're the good metal ones and he said I start scraping them on the concrete he says uh, ben, ben walked horns to him and says you know what are you doing he says I'm making a shift he said, you know, you don't think my my dad goes to prison and, you know, I don't know how to make motherfucking shiv. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm, and I was like, it's just so casual. He's like, yeah, so I'm just sitting there. Yeah, that's making it, a point. It, the thing that chilled me was how casually it escalates from, you know, a scrap on a bus with possible eye removal to, uh, yeah, just gonna, just gonna make shiv. Hold on a minute. So Scorpio actually tried to make peace with Hawk and Hawk continued the oh yeah yeah that's what we should say as well so yeah let's not forget that but also this was after a visit to a temple for the founder of korea's first kingdom that also Mm. had muhammad ali just running up the steps of it you know i'll tell you what I'll, i'll tell you what if I would give anything for there to have been footage of that. Do you know what? I really hope the North Koreans have footage of it and just play it every morning yeah, just to so start the day. Like They're describing how they're walking around in this place and all of a sudden, like, Ali breaks off in a run. And it's like, it's it, the way it's described is like that the years fell off him, that they just, like, rewinded the clock and he runs up these steps and he starts doing, like you said, Lee, the, the rocky bit, yeah. the shadow boxing and stuff like that. And it sounds like the coolest shit you've ever heard in oh, your life. Yeah. And it probably sounds like, you know, my life was risked going on this trip but between the magic tricks and like seeing like shades of the Ali that was here in this moment. You're probably thinking to yourself, OK, this is kind of worth it. Yeah, um, it, it, it had to have been just absolutely out of this. So so uh, we, we've mentioned Scorpio planning to uh, to murder Hawk. So, Jeff, what was the, the next story that also happened on this on this trip? Well, something that is gloss and this is goes to one of my biggest criticisms of this is that this really focused on the wcw side of things when this was a yeah. new japan promoted event and it, most of the staff there were from new japan pro wrestling so it, it, it really glossed over it but the biggest legend about this show <laughs> is the fact that uh two wrestlers met on this show uh namely one kensuke sasaki <laughs> and one akira hokuto and the legend goes that they really hit it off and uh, they were pretty loud about it. Uh, Listen, two, the, two, the, the fans didn't react, but they blew the roof off the place. They blew the roof. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is to the point where the rest of the New Japan staff had shamed Sasaki so badly about this that he he felt compelled to propose marriage to Akira Hokuto, and they are still married to this day. <laughs> Imagine that. It's like people asking, well, how did you get together? Well. <laughs> like I all mean, great okay. couples, it was, it was because of overheard relations in Pyongyang. <laughs> but this this is like this was like the like when they announced it, I was like, that literally was the first thing I thought. I was like, oh God, are they going to get into Kensuke Sasaki and the Kirohoto? <laughs> I wish they had been talking heads together on the show. Oh yeah. my God. Uh, that would have been like. What's weird is as salacious as this show gets, they didn't get into that. That's just going to say, this seems like the perfect dark side of the ring fodder. Like, but uh, I guess it's a certain thing where like there's only so much broadcast time. 
<laughs> I, I I think that was one where Bix was just like, no, e- even for Dark Side, this is too much. Yeah. Um, <laughs> maybe because I, I guess... maybe because Kensuke Sasaki would might have fucking murdered him. <laughs> I mean, yeah, well, so... that's you know. <laughs> I, I guess we'll um. What we'll do is maybe we'll me- we'll mention the re- the uh, quote unquote resolution of the the Hawk thing, and then we'll go into the part that covers the show, and we'll actually talk about the show itself at the same time. I think. Mm-hmm. Um. Mm. So, uh, Lee, do you want to do you want to talk us through how the uh, the hawk thing resolved itself allegedly? So I can't remember where they were. Is exactly. it like a lift in the hotel? Was it? Yeah, I think it could have been and, after the first night. And Hawk approaches Scorp and says, "Listen, I'm on. I'm withdrawing. Like I'm run out of tablets. I've run out of this. I've run out well, of that." Well, first it was. Um, it was like uh, there was no one else around and Scorp mm. saw Hawk coming and Hawk was like, you want to do this now? You want to do this now? Like squaring <laughs> up to like, you know, he probably has the shiv on him and stuff. <laughs> oh, he did. He said he absolutely, he absolutely did. He, yeah. He said he did, yeah. yeah. And that's when you get the like, look, I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> All the excuses. And I think Scorp says, listen, if you want to do it, if you're feeling different when we get back to Narita, you know, we'll do it then and we'll do it right. Like, and yeah. the hawk is like, nah, listen, bygones be bygones. Yeah. And Scarp was like, you know what? Fair enough. And, and again, <laughs> this is one of those things where, like, you know, I can buy that the dude is exhausted in withdrawal and just not up for a fight right now. But it also, I, I don't know about the idea of Hawk backing down so much like that so suddenly because like definitely uh too cold Scorpio like literally just goes and that day he knew not to mess with too cold <laughs> you know now, so. li- li- listen Hawk <laughs> is the guy that went to England with the WWF and didn't return for a year yeah like you know I fully buy that this guy somehow got some kind of tablets into Pung Yang yeah and obviously ran out at some point yeah so you know I do buy that bit of it yeah. but yeah maybe maybe it wasn't so civil yeah um <laughs> so yeah it, it was funny how like it, it definitely they were definitely you know for the non-wrestling fan audience trying to make you feel like to talk it like stabbed in the neck with a <laughs> with a chopstick and just left for dead in north korea and then it just yeah kind of looked just uh, dissipates this tension um, and they just leave bygones be bygones uh, although you know too cold definitely claiming the victory lap on that one but let, let's talk about the show both the the documentary coverage of the show and then the actual we went and watched the show um, and kind of in both in both the documentary and the WCW presentation that we watched um, it didn't cover everything because there was two days of show. Right. It, it was, was yeah. It, it, most it, it, of the second day, wasn't it? Was on the. Um, it, it was a the, the WCW was a version. It was, it was a mixed bag, but yeah. Uh, yeah. Just just to put this into context, it was on. Uh, I'm going to put on the strong style history hat now. Um, this rang. This ran at um, at uh, yeah, Pyongyang Mayday Stadium. On April 28th and 29th, 1995, uh, both nights drawing approximately, you know, depending on whose numbers you believe, approximately 150,000 per night. One thing we do learn is that this was mandatory attendance. 
Yeah, and that's something that was definitely bothering people. Uh, like, so I think it was Scott Norton in particular was like, "Oh, holy shit! Like, that's so bleak." Whereas Bischoff was just like, "Yeah, man, hundred and eighty thousand people. Yeah, yeah." yeah you, <laughs> we, you, again, he said like we blew WrestleMania out of the water. He said, "Yeah, it's like you you could tell where where his and Vince McMahon's heads were at regarding yeah. this." Yeah. Um, Bischoff's one regret he registers is that they didn't pay. <laughs> he's not like oh you know they were hostages basically but you know i'm looking at one source here and one source claims that they drew um the the pro wrestling doc history.com site claims that there was uh, there were gates of 7.5 and 8.5 million dollars per day that there is no fuck but there 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 is no way that that can be the case yeah there is no way but, no, but I, I love how like you were saying, you know, depending on whose numbers you believe, there's one point where Scorp is talking about this and within about three sentences, he exaggerates the uh, the attendance at least twice because he's talking, he mentions the attendance and then he says something about the, I can't remember what the first number he gives is. Then he goes, yeah, there's 180,000. And then by the end of the same like little soundbite he gives, he goes, yeah, man, 199,000 people. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, man. <laughs> Remember what I said at the top of the show where there was a baked-in level of bullshit involved yeah. in professional wrestling? Yeah. I, but, I think, uh, yeah, that is the... When you have any of these shows with multiple talking head wrestlers, it's something you've got to absolutely be aware of at mm-hmm. all times, I think. Especially in a uh, show about wrestling, yes. <laughs> I mean, yeah. every because everybody's trying to make themselves look good, you know, <laughs> yeah. no matter what. Yeah, um, but in terms of... So the WCW broadcast is is what we, we, we mostly watched and um, the, the broadcast team for this on the very dodgy green screen was uh, Bischoff, Mike Tanay and uh, Sonny Ono under his previous guise of Kazu Ishikawa. Who, Correct. Um, he was at this time a member of the WCW Championship Committee, who I think, mo- uh, so he would have been famous for two things at this point in WCW's timeline. The first would be he w- he voted to reinstate Flair as a wrestler after losing his retirement match to Hogan, which I believe was Havoc 94. Um, yeah, they said October, well, yeah. so yeah. yeah. And then he was also the special ref. This is uh, more pertinent to our interest in Days of Thunder. He was special ref in a martial arts match between Hacksaw Jim Duggan and Meng at Uncensored. Well, he was um, also he was also the talent liaison at this time between, yeah, between WCW New Japan, and yeah. New Japan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's weird because he's a guy who, like, you know, it's Sonny Ono, and we've all heard the stories of Sonny Ono being an inc- like such a carny. And uh, I think. For the amount of bullshit I was expecting him to feed us on the documentary, uh, he was quite tempered by comparison, or a lot of stuff was cut out, one or the other. Right. Um, but uh, he's on he's on the commentary. Well, keep in mind, this. too, keep in mind, too, that this was also, like, every, everything, all, all the American commentary was, was, was taped after the fact. And yes. a, as we mentioned earlier... <laughs> Mike Tanay was not going to Pyongyang. <laughs> Mike Tanay didn't go to Pyongyang. Uh, Bischoff, yeah. and I think Ono did too. Because I think, yeah, yeah I, I'd is, imagine Ono did, yeah. 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 But otherwise, why would he have been there? Um, yeah. uh, on the show, on the dark side of the ring, I mean. Um, but again, you know, the, these were, this was a mishmash of matches from the two nights, you know, the Collision yeah. in Korea show, and they are not in any order. And one of, of course, you know, one of the biggest ways you can tell that is because Hidekazu Tanaka's jacket keeps changing. 
Yeah. Not only that, but uh, even the <laughs> well, commentary... uh, Sorry, the ring announcer. He, he's the old yeah, New the Japan ring, ring announcer who yeah, had the yeah. ostentatious, you know, Sergeant Pepper's looking ring jackets. Mm. You know. Also, the commentators, I think, keep tripping themselves up uh, in terms of where this is in the timeline because they keep mentioning things that happened uh, on the previous event that didn't happen on the previous like they're getting yeah well whether it's a night one or night two thing they're talking about yeah this comes into play especially in in the fifth match that we're going to talk here but um Mm. we'll we'll get into that um but anyway also one thing this was all overdubbed the music was overdubbed and through the show you can hear the new japan announcers yeah uh, and you hear um, Bischoff mention early in the, the commentary that like you're not going to hear any rock and roll on this. Like this is, uh, you know, the only music we're playing in the arena is uh, what was approved. Um, Except for when they get to the WCW guys, because you hear Steinerized and, yeah. uh, you know, the, ooh, <laughs> the rush, music. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, um so- so our opening our opening match where we got settled in on this is uh, I believe it's Wild Pegasus and uh, Flying Scorpio. And Flying Scorpio, yes. Yeah. Um I, I think this kind of like um most of the show for me, it was kind of like the events surrounding the show are far more interesting than the pay-per-view presentation of the show. Right. And one thing that, that Eric Bischoff tries to, to play off here is like you know, Eric Bischoff saying, well, you know, much like their compatriots in Japan, the Korean fans are very polite. No, they were fucking shell-shocked, Eric. What the <laughs> fuck, man? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that is something that the, the wrestlers remark on this. Like, and you know, it's funny now to to reflect after a year of pandemic wrestling on this, but then basically talking about how tough it is to work in front of a crowd that aren't reacting mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. Try working in front of Vince McMahon in 2021. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is the thing. Like, would you rather work in front of an empty COVID era building with no sound at all? Or I think it would be even more unnerving to have... 150,000 people that aren't making a noise yeah, <laughs> because they're and, there and they're quiet. Yeah, and you could tell that there was uh, crowd noise overdubbed into this. And you and uh, this will come up later, too, in, in another match, too. Uh, mm. there, there, let's just put it this way. There was only one match that did not have crowd noise dub, dubbed in. And I'll let you guess. And I'll let you, the listeners at home, figure out which one that was. <laughs> um. So, yeah, what did you think of, of this match, Lee, as a kind of an opening thing and an interesting, like, obviously it wasn't the first one over the two nights, but it's the first one they wanted to show us. Yeah, like, I suppose you can understand putting the two, like, well, the Canadian and the American, I was going to say two Americans, but the, the Canadian and the American, like the two guys that may be a bit more familiar to WCW fans mm. out there first to kind of, what like you know starts the show um i thought it was a pretty good match overall like you know i think i I mentioned on twitter when i was watching the show that um that in front of an actual crowd i thought this you know you would have given this a decent rating you know but but this was an actual crowd is the problem (laughs) it's just just a a crowd that has never seen pro wrestling and we're 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 forced by a gunpoint if you believe scott norton uh to be there so yeah. yeah, but I mean, like, you, you always hear stories about, like, you know, say a wrestling show, like a, a full-time wrestling promotion will go to, like, I don't know, Paraguay or something where they've never seen professional wrestling and they, they you know, do a hip toss and the crowd go fucking bananas 
like these guys were out here actually working a proper kind of junior heavyweight New Japan style match and nothing. They were getting yeah, it, it absolutely was, nothing. Yeah, it was definitely a, a indicative of the of the junior style in New Japan at the time. Uh, I thought this is not bad, but not great. I mean, it, it, I can see why they made this, you know, the the American opener. This is actually the fourth match of the second night. <laughs> is what this this one was. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, it was not bad. It was not great. It was a six minute, you know, it was a six minute TV match, is what it was. Mm, yeah, you know, just um, not for TV. I, yeah, <laughs> and I think in terms of like length and things like that, that is reflective of a lot of what's happening on, on this show. Um, we move into our our next match here. We've got uh, Nagata and Ishizawa, and I imagine for this would be a, a particularly confusing one for Korean audience who don't know any wrestlers at all to have these guys come out, uh, who are like you know not identical but like vaguely similar looking in the the black gear of course uh it's lucky that the crowd weren't reacting anyway because they were so afraid because i i think you would have got a perplexed reaction for a lot of this match well this okay th- so this was the second match of the show this was actually the the opener of the entire event oh, this actually so that, was yeah. the which as a young lion match this was definitely a young lion match um mm-hmm. I think we all we're all pretty familiar with uh with Yuji Nagata. Mm. Uh who among thee knows who T- Tokimitsu Ishizawa is? Oh, I ha- I have Lee. Lee, would you like to hazard a guess as to who Tokimitsu Ishizawa is? Well, I only know because I looked it up as I was watching the show. Ah, uh, you suck. <laughs> <laughs> um I went on to discover it was, of course, Kendo Kashin. Yeah. This is the future Kendo Kashin. WWE trainer Kendall Cashin. Uh, yeah. okay. <laughs> current pro wrestling Noah wrestler Kendall Cashin. Yeah. That's right, yeah. Uh, at, at one point, they call, you know, I, I think, I can't remember if it was Bischoff or, or Ono who called, or I can't remember who he calls it, saying that, you know, these two are the future of New Japan. Yeah, well, <laughs> at least one well, of them was. I mean, yeah. 50%, right? Yeah. I mean, one of them, you know, within seven years would, you know, jump ship to all Japan. So, yeah. You know, um, um, during this time, Bischoff relates the jogging story over yeah. the air. <laughs> yeah. Which is good. There's like a, it's weird because like, obviously there's a lot of this is trying, a lot of the show is trying to put over, you know, their hosts here in North Korea, but there's also like a couple of moments where I think that the tension and the lack of uh, it being a pleasant experience seeps in uh, to it. Like you can, you can feel Bischoff's kind of like, yeah, not wild about it here. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, there is a very nice pseudo exploder from Nagata in this right before the finish, which I I, I really appreciated. Um, yeah. But this was a quick one. This was a sub five minute match. You know, Nagata yeah. wins with Nagata lock. What, what would become Nagata lock two? Um, yeah. And Eric Bischoff proves he cannot pronounce Tokimitsu Ishizawa. Nor there's a lot of. Names he can't pronounce on this. Yeah, <laughs> but what, one thing I will say as well about this is maybe one of the only times in my life I've ever seen Yuji Nagata not look middle-aged. As like he does oh. look relatively young in this. Like, do you know what I mean? He he's one of those guys where it's like, yeah, you came out of the womb at about forty. Uh, but Damn. like, this is one of those like. Well, almost, I say that about Arn Anderson too. He's always yeah. going to say the Arn and- Anderson syndrome. Yeah, the Arn Anderson dilemma, as we call it in, in the scientific community. <laughs> 
um yeah it was like you said uh jeff kind of uh it was it was quick uh blink and you'll miss it stuff uh our next match uh had uh yasuda and el samurai versus saito and chono well hang on a second here the, the, the first then they they, they actually saw some footage of some of the pageantry that went on oh at, this at is this, true at this, uh... and, and this is this is maybe the moment at which it most uh this ter- the term wasn't really around at the time but this is the most sports washy part of these proceedings right where it's like oh look at our gracious hosts and how fabulous things are here in north korea right i'm just like good lord like i don't think there is an awareness at all on bischoff's part about how much they're being taken for a ride in propaganda terms here oh yeah this was i mean right i mean for this supposed to have been a political stunt by inoki uh yeah north korea definitely we're putting one over here for sure yeah um anyway uh so yeah the the the, the third match uh uh okami gundan team wolf uh masahiro chono and hiro saido versus el samurai and jesus christ tadao fucking yasuda <laughs> so hang, hang on hang on before we get on to yasuda um okami gundan they would later go on to form nwo this was japan. the this was the the roots of nwo japan yeah. they, they and were then first team wolf and then become nwo japan and then become Co- team, uh, 2000. team 2000 yeah, yeah. coming um, out by the way to ray jr's music <laughs> <laughs> true which is brilliant all over the place this show <laughs> um but yeah what do you think of this one this was like uh um this was kind of well i I it was fucking, the longest match. <laughs> I fucking hate. I fucking hate Tadao Yasuda. Yeah, I, I hadn't. I, I hadn't seen Tadao Yasuda before this match, and I, I don't want we, to see Tadao Yasuda. <laughs> this man would become within ten years from this match would become an IWGP Heavyweight Champion. That this, doesn't surprise me in that this, era. This is yeah. If you want an indication of why New Japan in the early two thousands fucking awful. Here's one of your indications. And they tried to put him over. to die. I remember Dean Rasmussen on the old Death Valley Driver video review board referred to him as a ham with eyes. And, you know, <laughs> I, I, I cannot think of a, a more apropos uh, description. Uh, they, 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 they try to describe him as an accomplished rikishi. Let me put the, let me put the damper on that one. Uh, Takano Fuji only made it far as Komusubi, which is like the fourth rank of the top division. At a Yokozuna, Ozeki, Sekiwake, and then Komusubi. That's as far as Takano Fuji had made it. So he he was not really accomplished by any stretch yeah. of the imagination. Um, that said, there was some great heel work by Team Wolf in this, and I, I really did enjoy it. And you know. Hiro Saito Sentons are are the business, you know. Mm-hmm. They yeah. look like they hurt a fucking lot. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. This, this was one of those where I was just like, um, okay, maybe we'll get something a bit more substantial on this show. This felt more like a proper match match rather than like a dark match or a you know blink and you'll miss it. Yeah. Uh, TV um, match. Where did uh, hang on? This happened. Uh, this was actually the fourth match of the first night. Okay. 
so yeah that makes sense that you're a bit into the card at this point and you can kind of settle in and you don't necessarily have to worry about everyone losing their and attention I, and, spans and, and, and i am and i am going to run down the the full card i mean just the yeah. uh, just the results so yeah I, I think also interesting like if you're looking from a pro wrestling perspective or a new japan perspective that you have um chono and saito india with junior in el samurai mm. in a straight tag match well the, i mean that used to be more common than you'd think you know, yeah. so I mean, I mean, they do it now too, and usually you can tell it's the junior that's going to get squashed. Mm. And well, in this case, it was the case too because Chono does uh, pin El Samurai with uh, a flying shoulder block um, after a couple, couple of low blows. Yeah, a couple of low blows, and you know, right at this point, you know, Chono wasn't, you know, he, they were just trying to get over, you know, the uh, the, the, the 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 rudeness of of, of Okami Gundan at this point, so. You know, and, who, and, who and, else and, was who else was in Okami Gundam at this point, Jeff? Hiroshi uh, Tenzan. Oh, so it was, well, it was just a three of them at this point, Jeff. Yeah, it was a three of them, and then they would become the NWO. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, uh, anything else on this match before you move along? Um, not on this match particularly. Other yes, than, yeah, other, other than Tadayasu <laughs> sucks, and we're gonna see more of him, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> so we get um. We get footage then of, uh, is it Flair, Inoki, and Ali uh, and seeing others. the sights? And others. And others. They... Uh, although I will say, what a trio. <laughs> right. But I mean, they show footage. I mean, I saw Masa yeah. Saito. I saw, yeah. you know, some other folk in there. So you get them seeing the sights of North Korea. Again, it's almost like a visit North Korea, but don't. Add. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. Uh, and then next we get our, our, our all Japan women tag match. We have uh, Toyota Yoshida versus uh, Toyota and Yoshida versus Hokuto and uh, Nakano. And uh, the main thing I drew from this, Jeff, is that one Eric Bischoff was utterly appalling on commentary during this. Um, this was very much 1995. I see a woman commentary. The, the, well, the commentary in this whole show fucking sucked. I mean, let's yeah. not. I beat her on the bush, but even even Mike Tanay fell the fuck down on this. How dare you, sir, compare Bull Nakano to Vader? How dare yeah. you, sir? <laughs> Bull Nakano. I mean, as much as I love Vader, Bull Nakano was was, was miles ahead of, yeah. of 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 Leon White, and <laughs> you know. But you know what? They got they mentioned all Japan women on the air. That was great, and this match fucking rocked. I loved yeah. this. This is yeah. uh, of the of the matches that we get to see here. This is my favorite, absolute favorite match of the night. Um, yeah, Hokuto and, and Bull just go right the fuck in on on uh, on Toyota and Yoshida. Yeah. Um, it was just oh god, they just and, and, I mean even in this dead crowd. I mean, and you know they they showed this in the document in, in the Dark Star of the Ring episode. The 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 crowd there was fucking scandalized. By the women yeah. wrestling, yeah, they, they, like yeah. they show bull and. I was just gonna say, hand, imagine, yeah. imagine like the first female wrestler you ever see is Bull Nakano. Yeah, like, Jesus, they were, they were absolutely, they were, yeah, they, they were polite, they were fucking scandalized by this, you know, and yeah. So it was, um, yeah, they, but I mean, this match just, they, I mean, like all Japan women, they just went the fuck in on this and it yeah. was amazing i love this match even though you know th they kept calling tiger hattori by his government name and uh <laughs> yeah. and you know what bischoff couldn't call a fisherman suplex or a power bomb 
oh man, this guy did not know what was going on. And like, again, you know, even Mike Tanay, you know, they, they kept calling him the professor. He knows his international. Yeah, he didn't know fucking shit in this match. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. And I think even if he did, I think the fact that Bischoff was 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 lead for this evening, it, the whole thing would have been shocking anyway, because this guy just like, I would have preferred absolute silence over Bischoff on this. I like, not just like we said, him being not knowing one move from another, um, but also like just that the various commentary about the women. It's like, oh, you imagine that calling to your door at, at six in the morning or something. Oh like that. yeah, that one. I, was like, like I wanted, that. I wanted to fucking reach through the my laptop and. And just go back in time and uh, punch him in the mouth for that. Look, there, there's a man who was three days into a trip to North Korea and was missing his key parties back home. Problem. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> um, look, it was a WCW produced program. There was always the possibility that Mark Madden could have been on it. So, <laughs> oh God. <laughs> TV's best looking big man. But, um, uh, gents, this match ruled. This was by far oh, the best. Yeah, great match. match. Like, yeah. If, if there's one match you watch from this show, it's this. Yeah, oh, yeah. It, like it wasn't a oh, high bar sure. to clear, but it was it was all action. It it did tickle me that, like you said, Jeff, they were just absolutely uh, in shock at the, mm-hmm. the the women, both in appearance and them just laying shit into each other. Um, but oh, they were they, they, yeah, they were just absolutely scandalized by them. Yeah, you know. But this was during a, a period where just like. Uh, Manami Toyota was just a force of nature. Oh yeah. Um because she was was this the year she was uh she got the rest of the year with the observer. Yep. 95, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Yep. 95 was the year of uh, uh, of Manami Toyota for sure. Yeah. Oh yeah. So just just great stuff here and i think it filled me uh, it gave me enough energy to get through the rest of this program anyway oh, yeah. i was like okay look if i tuned in and that was all there was then that was something we've definitely had episodes of thunder where there's been yeah. far less than this and inc- uh, incidentally this was the second match of the first night yeah and and also just as a reference we talk about watching this by the way this show is not officially available Anyway, not nope. even on WWE Network. We had to yeah. go to sources for this one. But yeah. if you, but you know what? If you Google it, you'll find it. It's yeah. It's it's one of those where it's one of the very few things that didn't make it over with the tape libraries that WWE will not put up on the network. Um, which is a shame in some ways from the historical point of view, but I suppose given the the dicey relations between America and North Korea, I imagine they want to avoid the headlines of putting that show up in sparkling HD. Especially now, I can imagine if yeah, I was just gonna say put on Peacock, (laughs) the the reporters would have a fucking field day. Yeah, Uh, our next match was uh, uh, so the IWGP champion Shinya Hashimoto take on uh, arm wrestling's own Scott Norton, Um, and just like. God, Scott Norton was a fucking wedge of a man in 95. Ooh, buddy. <laughs> Shaped like a fucking fridge, this guy. Oh, God. And, and that outfit he had. My God. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I saw... Can you, was can you call him Hans Wrestling Gear skimpy? Because oh, just like... I, damn you, sexy Norton. <laughs> I mean, Stupid Lee, sexy Norton. Yeah. Was it Lee running the account last night? Where you made oh, yeah, of yeah, a, yeah. Juventus? Yeah. 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 Do, do you remember Cameroon had those all in one kits? Yes. Yeah. yeah. That, yeah. That's what it looks like. Uh, yeah. 
Imagine so, a Juve one of them, yeah. Uh, Lee, what did you think of this one, Hash and Norton? Yeah, I was I wasn't expect again, I didn't check the results of the show like before um watching the show. So I was stunned that these two went to a 20 minute draw. Um yeah. I'm obviously guessing this this isn't class as a total match in IWGP history, Jeff, is it? No, it totally is. How is it? Oh yeah, this totally is a, uh, a, a this this match counts. Now, one thing that bothered me again about the placement and all this, and the fact that this was on tape delay, because I mean this this show aired in, on August fourth, nineteen ninety five, on pay per view. So we have three months out. And Mike Tanay at some point mentions that you know by the time this is aired, you know Hashimoto was no longer IWGP champion by the time you know the show aired. Yeah, he lost it a, a mere four or five days later. At wrestling Don Taku 1995 to Keiji Muto. So yeah. thanks, Mike Tanay, for blowing the fucking match here. That if one way or the other, Shinya Hashimoto was still going to be retain this title. Yeah. Um, I also, as much as hor- as horrific as they were about the women, uh, they kept going on and on about Hashimoto's physique yeah. in this, and it's like, D- guys, come on, man. You know, you don't get it. Yeah, <laughs> he's a person. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, he's also one of the best wrestlers that came out of you know that that the, generation of New Japan too. I mean, yeah. what? Just watch the match. The man's a fucking badass. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> fucking... Those kicks will fucking murder you. I mean, come yeah. on, man. Um, um, they uh, Bischoff at this point does make allusions to Scott Norton's issues. Um, y- that yeah. they had, and um. But they also, t- you know, Sonny and, you know, Sonny Ono in particular said he would like to see more uh, New Japan guys in WCW. Well, I can't imagine why, Sonny. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing he was getting paid by the tour. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, a 20 minute time limit draw. Actually, you know what? If it wasn't for the women's match, this match might have been my match of the uh, of the show. Mm. Oh, I was interested to see Jesus. that when I looked up this before the program on the the four one one mania review, it was one of the reviews I found first uh, that this got absolutely buried. Uh, got a one star rating um, because, like, I quite enjoyed it for what it yeah, was. Yeah, this, this was just twenty minutes of these two. Uh, the so I, I think it's maybe because we're so used to pandemic wrestling now, and there being you know, minimal to no crowds that you know the lack of crowd wasn't yeah. really bothering us. Because I could see where in the before times that would really bother people. The the mm. one thing I will say about the match maybe is that for a crowd that you know this is the this is the only two wrestling shows they've ever seen in their lives, maybe doing something as deep in the uh, wrestling canon as the twenty minute time limit draw when like this isn't a thing that's like established across generations in North Korea, it must have been particularly baffling when the bell rang and both men's arms were lifted. Right, like, what the shit is this? Um, <laughs> But yeah. <laughs> Listen, North Korea has won the World Cup after getting beaten. It's okay. Yeah, yeah, They, yeah, they know yeah. all about, you know, winning when you're losing. <laughs> they know. Um, Buddy. Oh, boy. So th- that was the, I don't know, I can't remember if you mentioned it or not, Jack. This, this was the main event of night one? This was, was the main event of night one, yes. Okay. Um, something that very much wasn't a main event in, uh, in either name or quality uh, was Yasuda versus Hawk. Now, hold on. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> The first they showed more pageantry, including you know some gymnastics demonstrations, and they cut to some footage of of Two Cold Scorpio in the crowd <laughs> finding the camera. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> what a worker. <laughs> but yes, uh, our second, yeah, the sixth match on this show, Road Warrior Hawk versus Tadao Yasu. Why the fuck? Do we get another Yasuda match here? I mean, at least it was two minutes long, you know? Yeah, that's what I don't get why they included this. They had no need to. Oh yeah. my two minutes God. long, and Lee Malone, would you believe that Hawk spent a lot of this match no selling? I I am stunned <laughs> that Yasuda throws it a big suplex and Hawk is back on his feet before Yasuda. Now, the, the, now, the, the one thing they did show with Yasuda was. Um, uh, he did like you know very sumo like you know pushing and thrusting into the corner, but yeah, man, dude, Akira Tawe does did that so much fucking better, you know. <laughs> but, um, but I think it was at this point that Bischoff flies through his teeth again and says this was supposed to be the reunion of the Road Warriors. He says yeah. that yes, I, I knew that was bullshit, but at least so t- actually no, it was Tanay according to my notes. Tanay said that, uh, but Tanay also mentioned. This is the first mention of the Hellraisers uh, mm. between Road Warrior Hawk and uh, Kensuke Sasaki as Power Warrior. So that's obviously bullshit because Animal has talked about this plenty of times where him and Hawk did not talk between 1992 and I think it was 96 when they showed up on WCW. I would know, was it late 95 or 96? I think it was 96 they showed up on Nitro. Yeah. Um, and like Animal has said, but like they did not talk so there is no way that in early 95 these two were reuniting uh yeah um, i mean yeah and, and even if it was a re- reunion why is this match on here you know jesus yeah. did not need to be here uh our next encounter was hirohase and kensuke sasaki versus the steiner brothers and this is another one i i enjoyed quite a bit the steiners had uh i believe just come back to wcw um we had known that they'd been kind of all around the place um in the, the the kind of period up until this but they had just about returned to, to wcw in at this stage in 95 well um, the, the way the bishop, i don't think they had yeah no, the they, way they bishop was yeah the way bishop was talking it was like they were still trying to get back back into wcw they, they were oh, in, could, they were, wait, they were in japan been, at this point could it have been that by the time it aired they were back but when all this was put together and taped they weren't I don't Possibly know. they had agreed yeah. to come back. Yeah, at that yeah, point. maybe that was it. Um, but um, yeah, no, they uh, they make mention of it that they are like new, they were in New Japan at this point, and WCW were working on getting them back. I think right, right, okay. Um, but yeah, I I enjoyed this. Uh, I thought like uh, Scott looked particularly up for this one, as he you know often but, was. Like I was like, what? I'm gonna beat some people up. Scott loves beating up Hiroshi Hase. Yeah, <laughs> and boy, was he having a great night at the office. Oh my teams. god, they, they yeah, and also, can we talk about the the dueling mullets between Scott Steiner and Kensuke Sasaki? Oh, um, <laughs> yeah. So you know what? So I, I have a few notes on this. So um, by this point, Hiroshi Hase uh, was also an elected official. By then, he had been elected to the Diet. By then, of course, uh, he is still an elected official, and um, unfortunately uh, for fandom, because uh, this is not great, um, he and several other uh, party members uh, were accused of sexual harassment at a house for victims of sexual abuse and domestic violence. Um, This was concurrent, but 
it was coincidental and concurrent, but not part of speaking out. It happened okay. around the same time. I was just going to say, I thought he had to step down because of all these accusations. And... Um, he did not. As far as I know, he did not. That could, okay, no, I could, I could you, be you probably wrong. know better than me. Yeah, do you, you know what? I, do you know what? I think it's somewhere in between the two because I think it was that like he was on a few committees that he stepped back from or something like that. I remember it was right. there was I read something about how he had resigned from something and it was expected that he was just going to resign from everything, but he didn't. And people were like, "What the fuck?" Yeah, he and he. Uh, I mean, he was even part of like the government committees regarding wrestling. You know wrestling companies mm. uh during the pandemic a- after this point so mm. um you know in, in, in meetings that were attended by like new japan all japan ddt oh that's right yeah and yeah. Uh, and all that but yeah but yeah so i mean let, let's you know and you know but in context within within a year you know later this year uh or, you know in 95 um, his his partner in this match, Kensuke Sasaki, would accidentally kill a trainee named Hiromitsu named Hiromitsu Gompei, um, and and Hase would resign from New Japan and end up in All Japan. After yeah, this. well that 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 was wasn't Hase had like personally recruited this guy because he had wasn't like an Olympic style wrestler. Yeah, he, and he had personally pro- and he had promised the family like he'd look after him and stuff. That's exactly right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, at least that's what the legend is. But that that mm. was reason but yes uh so hase would you know be out of new japan within a few months of this of this show um i I was mostly proud of my son because when i put on this match he was like oh that's the guy from the muda scale match (laughs) (laughs) how old's your son uh eight (laughs) and you're letting him watch that match huh his his son is getting quite a wrestling education let me tell you goodness me goodness i was actually thinking about instituting as a what have you made connor watch this week segment (laughs) on the show you say you know just just to just to compile a case um so anyway so they did reference the the first uh new japan wcw super show one which was a tokyo dome show um, that was not the first January 1st show. That was actually the Super Show 2, which was called... Uh, Starcade in New Japan or something, wasn't it? It was uh, Super Warriors in Tokyo Dome, uh, was that. Okay. Um, so uh, Bischoff spends a lot of time talking about uh, the restaurant owned by Kensuke Sasaki's parents <laughs> in this. Because um, it's better than talking about wrestling for Bischoff, that's why. Right. Yeah. I think at this stage, I just, in my head, fully tuned Bischoff out. <laughs> well, um... And this, so a couple of classics here uh, hmm. from commentary. First of all, I forget who it was. Maybe it was is Bischoff saying how Scott was the more emotional of the two, and it was like, <laughs> "Oh, buddy, you have no idea what's That's, to come, do you?" That is a way of putting it. <laughs> <laughs> and then, oh my god, I could not fucking believe Mike Tenay actually alludes to Kensuke Sasaki and Akira Hokuto to the <laughs> point where Bischoff actually says, "I heard about it the next morning." <laughs> oh my fucking god <laughs> that's Tremendous. why you made the pay-per-view crisis jeff you get the scandal <laughs> there's you know with that very like it's in stories like that where it's like it's almost like they don't know they're being recorded very much reminds me of like when uh, excalibur used to do the commentary for pwg shows when he was in this basement and just like he would just at a certain point be rambling and saying something like should you be saying this stuff on commentary but it just nah fuck it like oh, um boy. 
But uh, Lee, I want to talk about this finish because rumor has it that uh, there was a near murder with a Snyder screwdriver here. But wouldn't you know it, in a very shades of WCW slash TNA, the producer fucking missed it. Yeah, so I'm guessing this was a New Japan crew and not like a fucking North Korean crew or whatever. Um, but yeah, they just... They're like I think it's um, Suzaki gets thrown to the outside and the camera kind of follows himself and Rick. Yeah. And then they come back to the ring. It's like, oh, it's over. <laughs> yeah, they, they completely miss a Steiner screwdriver because you can yeah. see Scott setting up Hase for it. Um, yeah. it but prior to that, uh, Rick suplexes Hase and Hase lands right on his fucking head. Mm-hmm. Of course oh, he does. It's Hase. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> I was going to say, of course it was. It was the Steiners. <laughs> well, that too. Well, it was the Steiners with Hase. <laughs> yeah, That's what yeah, they yeah. do. But also, you know, they did, you know, Hase got his, you know, his his spin, uh, you know, his uh, his discus throw uh, spot in. So that was mm-hmm. cool, I thought. Uh, but yeah, God, this was a fucking suplex fest. And... Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the, the camera, time. the cameras. It, it was a fun match. The the cameras yeah. missing the the finish though. God, that yeah. that that irritated me, especially because like the Steiner screwdriver is one of those things uh, where it's like it's so cool to watch, but I would not advocate anybody actually do it. Oh God, uh, no. <laughs> but, then, but then also, you know, Bischoff... if you're gonna do it, get it on camera. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but then, but then Bishop has the nerve to say, you know, oh, the Japanese fans will be disappointed. But what Japanese fans? There's yeah, no Japanese fans there. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Good Lord. Um, so then we have, uh, we, we come to our main event of the evening, a match that was described by Scott Norton as the greatest match in the history of professional wrestling. Um, <laughs> now, what I will say about that is, firstly, no. Um, <laughs> Look, he's loyal to Anoki. <laughs> but... <laughs> but secondly, what I will say is in a very specific way, I guess he has a case because if you consider the circumstances of, like we said, the literal captive audience and the lack of noise throughout the show, the ability of these men to solicit any noise whatsoever is borderline miraculous. And in that very, very specific way, with no context at all around it, you can go, okay, maybe it was one of the most miraculous thing that's ever happened in pro wrestling, but greatest match in the history of our industry. Come on, man. I mean, this was... I don't want to go all Joe Biden, but come on, man. (laughs) You know, this was the first ever match between... Ric Flair and Antonio Inoki. Oddly enough, it, it took. Hopefully, it was 19- the last ever one. It, it, it was the only one. It, it, Thank it, God, it never <laughs> happened. And you know, and, and by you know, and keep in mind too, by this point, Inoki had already started his final countdown, which yeah. would last you know four years. But <laughs> it, it, you know, he was already he was already on his on his retirement tour. Yeah, hadn't, hadn't, like hadn't a Bob Dylan retirement faced, tour. Um, <laughs> William Regal or Steve Regal in WCW at this point. I don't know when I don't know when I remember it was in 95 I don't remember when in 95 it might have been after that but it was it was on a a random Saturday night episode wasn't it hang on I'm gonna try and find it that was on research 24th of August 1994 so that would have been that would have been even after this this show aired yeah that's what I mean like yeah yeah. so so, but yeah. Wait, did you did you say ninety four? Yeah. Oh, so this show aired in ninety five. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
That's what I mean. Like he, his yeah. countdown had started. I think it was like initially his yeah. last ten matches, his last ten singles matches, or whatever it was going to be. Gas. Well, Gas. The, he, well, he spread it out for quite some time. Yeah. So every, every Tokyo Dome show for the next fifteen years. Yeah, yeah something like that. <laughs> never, yeah. never one to milk us, Anoki. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, not not Inoki. Yeah, but, um, but Jeff, you alluded to it. This uh, you know, bell to bell uh, is not to write home about, is it? It's not a great match. It, it is, it, you know, again, and you've talked about this before, too, and, and you and, and the three of us have talked about it amongst ourselves. This is an historic match. It's not a good match. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I will say this. The, the, the intros actually seem like it was an Oki, an Inoki match. The one thing that was missing was, you know, the Inoki, Bombaye, Inoki, Bombaye. You know, yeah. we don't get, you know, mm-hmm. we didn't get that uh-huh. intro. And even at the end, we don't we don't get, you know, Inoki doing his his usual speech, you know, with the Ishni San Da, you know, we we don't get yeah. that, you know. So, yeah. but um, there was quite a lot of um, there was a lot of talk of Ric Flair angles, but also they were trying to really put over Inoki's effort, uh, you know, the 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 the, the diplomatic effort. Yeah, in this, you know, I mean, in, look, including mentioning, you know, going to Ricky Dozan's, uh, you know, his grave and his birth site. Um, you know, there's... as we as we would say, I think very much the commentary team knew what side what what side their bread was buttered on oh, here. Yeah. Eric, uh, Noki Eric, being put over huge. Eric Bischoff praising Ric Flair. Good lord, uh, <laughs> boy, oh boy! <laughs> yeah, because boy was he at pains to try and not get into Ric Flair stuff on the documentary, where it is oh, a yeah. bit like where he's like. You know, to my face, he said he was happy to do it. And it's like, mm. <laughs> and then kind of glosses over what he was probably saying about him, actually. Uh, right. You know. <laughs> um, um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, yeah, this was the only match that the crowd did, you know, did not have to be piped in because they gave a shit because Inoki, you know, had built himself up as being this, you know, he has a spiritual link to North Korea because of Ricky Dozan. He was there on a, on a mission of peace, you know, trying to bridge the two cultures. And, um, you know, the, you know, the commentary, you know, referenced more talk about Ali, you know, Muhammad Ali and the fact that, um, you know, that, you know, Inoki fought Ali way back when. Um, they also make several references to wrestling Don Taku 1995 because, you know, apparently Ric Flair beat Hiroshi Hase, you know, a mere four days after this. In, uh, in in Fukuoka, um, I really felt for the poor woman who was sitting next to uh, you know uh, Hidekazu Tanaka and ringing the bell because she had it. I saw the, the camera caught her covering her ears. <laughs> you know, I, I just kind of felt bad for her for that one. <laughs> um, Lee, what did you think of the actual match here, or are you any notes that you want to add? <laughs> no. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> And um, look, to me, it felt like a, a styles clash between two, these two guys. Like, Flair was traditionally an all Japan guy more than a new Japan guy. And it's cool that we and have that much this is true. Ma- and that much is true. Yes. Uh, Flair and did work it, a lot of all Japan. And it's cool that we have this match. But at the same time, it's not a match you need to watch. Yeah. It's, it's like, um, it's, it's like Jeff said, historic, but not good. Yeah. Yeah, and, um, and again, we've talked about this. I mean, you were talking about this about what was it the uh, the Survivor Series 1998 recently? 
It was mm-hmm. yeah, historically significant. It was not great. Batch of the Beach, 1996, same thing. So, oh, God, yeah. yeah. It, you know, it, it, historically significant and necessary and changed the course of the business. I mean, this didn't really, but it, you know what I mean. You know, it, yeah. um, I mean, it changed the course of Enoki's Ino- political career. But... <laughs> I, I, like, ideally, like you're saying, like you'd have historically significant and brilliant wrestling collide, but that very rarely happens. Yeah, right. true. Um. So yeah. Um. Oh, sorry, Jeff. Did you have something else to add on that? No, I was just. I just have a note here. I, I just wrote a, a winner is an Oki, and yeah. know, <laughs> referencing fighter Hayabusa. So. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Um. So if we were to talk about the fallout of this, we we talk about the maybe the the direct fallout before we go to the fallout for Anoki specifically uh, with Jeff. But the the they eventually do. Uh, I think they they mention so there's the the d- dissolving of tensions for now between Scorp and Hawk. Uh, they talk about how they're still tense and they're not going to be settled until they get their passports back. And it was when they got the passports back and were on the plane back that they could finally relax. And in a scene, again, I wish they had footage of, they described Flair belting it off the plane and in his crocodile shoes and $3,000 suit, kneeling down on the tarmac when they land in Japan, kissing the ground and screaming, I love Japan, and then wooing. Yeah, that 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 was that was something. Um, now I, I know we, we want to get through the documentary. There is one match we didn't talk about, though. Oh, of course. Oh, yes. yes. You yeah. want to hit that, Jeff? Okay. So, uh, again, this match is this show is not officially available anywhere. I looked for the New Japan version of this and couldn't find it. So, right. uh, NJPW World only has two matches up uh, from this sh- from from these shows. One of them is Anoki versus Flair. The other one uh, was also from Night 2. It was the second match of Night 2, and I am about to go through the the whole card. Um, it was Akira Hokuto versus Bull Nakano for the CMLL World Women's Championship. Um, mm. Now, when you, you start up on this, uh, they show footage of the presentation of the wrestlers before the show. Somehow, Masa Saito got a huge pop. I, I couldn't understand. <laughs> I couldn't understand this one, but somehow Masa Saito got a huge pop. I'm wondering if maybe he has some some Korean lineage as well. I'll have to I'll have to look into that. I didn't check that out. Um, mm. Bull went right for Okdo in this. You know, right when yeah. the bell rang. So again, we got another. You know, um, you know, all Japan women's type match. Um, honestly, though, this match was not as good as as the tag match. Um, yeah, I, I didn't think it was that great. the The finish was uh, almost a botched poison rana, uh, followed by an O'Connor roll by Akira Hokuto. Um, some little some history about Akira Hokuto and the CMLL uh, World Women's Championship. Uh, she held this belt for uh, for uh, two years and 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 uh, three. Three months and change, starting from July 30th, 1994, until uh, November 4th, 1996, where in Mexico she was known as Reina Jubuki or Hubuki, and um, but she was stripped and fired by CMLL because she decided to work uh, the November 4th, 1996 edition of WCW Monday Nitro at a time when WCW was working with AAA. 
So Jesus. that's that's uh that's a big no no in in, in lucha. <laughs> CMLL so, and AAA, you, their wrestlers do not work together. Period. So was the the CMN, CMLL title recognized in all Japan women's, or was it just a matter of oh well she has this belt so she can defend it? Yeah, it, I think it was a matter of she had. I I, I mean, Joshi's not my strong point. I will point yeah. that out right now. Um, I think there was some sort of. Uh, you know, co co promotion between All Japan Women's and and CMLL, but um, but I think by this point, uh, I think All Japan All Japan Women's was also in its decline at this point too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe not. you know what? Maybe not. Maybe I don't know what I'm. I know. <laughs> I, well, I know. I I know we're not too far off from Arshin for so you know yeah, yeah, yeah. you know yeah. so, which I miss Arshin so I, I loved Arshin. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, basically, you know, she chose to work Monday Nitro. I even try to look up the card for that Nitro, see if Sasaki was on that show. Uh, it was, cause that would make sense. She would want to work the same show as her husband. Uh, but he, he would have been U.S. champ around summer 95, wouldn't he? Would he have? I'm pretty sure he was. You could be right. You could be right on that one. I'm going to um, look that up again. Anyway. You know what? This it's great to see the, the the. It was great to see the opening footage of of the presentation of the wrestlers. This match, sadly, not necessary. It was not. So I, I if you don't have NJPW World, you do, really don't need to go out of your way to see it. I, I didn't think it was that. It, it definitely definitely seek out the tag match though, because that was yeah. the best match of the show that we got. To um. See. While we're while we're on other matches, Jeff, do you want to do you want to give us the rundown of what exactly was not seen over these two? Okay, days, so the it, running order originally was. Okay, so here are the full cards. Um, here are the full cards. Uh, so day one was April twenty eighth, nineteen ninety five. Um, Yuji Nagata defeated, uh, submitted uh, Tokimitsu Ishizawa. Uh, Akira Hokuto and Bull Nakano defeat Minami Toyota and Mariko Yoshida. Um, with uh. Bull pinning Yoshida with a diving uh, diving guillotine leg drop. Uh, Hiroshi Hase beat uh, Wild Pegasus Chris Benoit. Uh, Okami Gundan, Masahiro Chono, and Hiro Saito beat uh, El Samurai and Tadao Yasuda, as we saw. Flying Scorpio, uh, Too Cold Scorpio, defeats Shinjiro Otani by referee decision because... Uh, Otani's nose started bleeding and, from a broken nose, and the ref stopped the match to excessive excessive blood, blood basically. Mm. Um, Ensuke Sasaki beats uh, Masa Saito, uh, and then uh, you know the main event that night was uh, the time limit draw for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship, Shinya Hashimoto and uh, Scott Norton. The second night opens up with Hiro Saito defeating, you know, the then young lion Yuji Nagata. Uh, the aforementioned Akira Hokuto defeating Bull Nakano to retain the CMLL World Women's Championship. Uh, Black Cat Victor Mar Manuel defeats uh, El Samurai. Uh, while Pegasus uh, defeats Flying Scorpio, that was, you know, the opening match of the WCW version of the show. Uh, Masahiro Chono and Scott Norton defeating uh, Akira Nogami and Takayuki Izuka, both of whom are better known under other names. Uh, Akira Nogami, of course, is Akira, you know, all caps. And Takayuki Izuka would turn into Takashi Izuka uh, in uh, in 2002, I think. 
if I remember correctly. Um, Road Warrior Hawk defeats Tadai Yasuda. Steiner Brothers beat Hiroshi Hase and Kensei Sasaki. And, of course, the main event of the entire thing, Antonio Inoki hits an enziguri on Ric Flair to, to pin him. So that was the entire show. Uh, speaking of uh, Antonio Inoki, Jeff, uh, what is the fallout of all this for him? We mentioned at the very start of this program that this was uh, at least partially motivated by him coming into an election year. Um, and uh, suffice to say, things did not necessarily pan out the way he would have anticipated. Yeah, he uh, he basically lost it. He, he, he suddenly lost his, ele- his re-election bid into the House of Counselors and... Um, he left politics for two decades. Uh, he would eventually re-enter politics in 2013, uh, continuing to go to North Korea against advice of the Japanese government. And then finally, he he retired in uh, in 2019. There, they did say that there were in in reading up on this. They did say that there were some scandals that Inoki was involved in. I don't know the details of them. But uh, basically, he would hardly be the only one as, you know, this is something that, you know, wrestlers going into politics seems to follow them as, you know, this has happened to, as I mentioned, Hiroshi Hase, uh, Atsushi Onida, and Great Sasuke as well. Mm. So basically, Um, wrestlers maybe shouldn't go into politics in Japan. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> that's I, I think maybe if you didn't even have to add in Japan to that, Jeff Rasmus just shouldn't go into politics. Well, that much is true too. Shout, shout out to yeah. shout out to Drake Words. Hope you you know stay unemployed. Yeah, <laughs> um, I, I mean but, it, it, he is making every effort to uh, uh, stay unemployed. Yeah, I, yeah, I think the only I think the only people that are going to be booking him is like Ian Rotten. So yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. I just, I just want to say I was right and wrong when it comes to Suzaki. He would win the WCW. United States title on a New Japan show in November 1995 and then drop it one month later at Starcade. Ah, okay. Um, to, to sum things up here, to kind of wrap things up, uh, I suppose we'll go around the table and see like what your takes on the, the documentary and the show itself uh, were. So I uh, will go to you firstly. Um, like on both, like uh, the documentary I found like again like it's stuff that you know fans like us probably didn't learn a bunch that we didn't already know yeah um like the whole series in general but again like it's 40 40 45 minutes it's enjoyable it's an easy watch mm. and it's something you can watch with a non-fan and they're gonna learn things um the show did the, the, the actual wrestling event itself it was fine. Like you can get past bad commentary. You can get past like the, the hawk squash and like stuff that didn't need to be on there. Like it's worth it for the women's tag, the Steiner's tag, everything else is kind of skippable. But again, it's a historical show. I'm glad it exists online. Yeah. Uh, what, what were your takes on it, Jeff? Um, the, the documentary itself w- was fine. Again, I w- wish for my own interest. I think that they really should have, had more um they they really should have had more uh dealings with you know talking about the the new japan side of things because again i mean this directly affected you know the japanese wrestlers too because they too were going into a hostile territory and they really glossed over that i think they they really just focused on inoki's part which okay fair enough i mean it was his his deal 
But again, it, it's something that I think they really, I, I really would have liked to have found out, you know, how like, you know, Masahiro Chono or Yuji Nagata would have, you know, what they were thinking about all this. You know, it, mm. it's it, it's something I really would have liked to have known. I mean, yeah, I, I made the comment that, yeah, they didn't talk about, you know, Sasaki and Hokuto at all, which is <laughs> funny for me because, you know, knowing the, this show the way, I, you know, the, how salacious it can get. I mean, mm. it is kind of a minor thing, even though it seems to be the longest lasting thing about this show. <laughs> it's the, yeah. Their marriage, they're still married to this day. And I remember a couple of years ago, yeah. um, Sasaki was even trying to solicit any kind of work at all because Akira Hokuto had had a, a double mastectomy. So, mm. I mean, he was just trying to take care of his family, you know, in, yeah. in, in, mm -hmm. in hard times, which, you know, I never liked Kensuke Sasaki, but, you know, I, I kind of really had to respect that, you know. Jim on that one, yeah. yeah, I really had to respect um, that one. But, you know, at the same time, he also, you know, probably killed a trainee, too. So, you know, it, uh, you know it's just kind of one of those things. Ah, you know? uh, wrestling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Um, um, overall, I, I think it's worth watching just, again, given – Eric Bischoff's involvement with this and all that. Just really, you need to take uh, things with a grain of salt. The show itself, it, it's worth it for the weirdness value. It's not really worth it for much else. Uh, mm. The only match, again, the, the All Japan Women's Tag Match from the first night, that is the only, really the only match you really need to seek out. Yeah. This. Uh, for me as well, yeah. I feel like um, maybe as a whole piece... Uh, for somebody who isn't overly familiar, I think uh, Dark Side of the Ring would be more enjoyable than just the, the two hours alone of, of actually watching the pay-per-view presentation. Even though, as we said, for the people who are a bit inside baseball and already know the broad strokes, it is missing some of the context, some of the things we would have liked it to have gotten into, or even some of, uh, like you were saying, the the, the uh, easy and salacious layups that we would have thought for sure would have been in it. Um, and yeah, I, I completely go in line with what you were saying. I don't think from a wrestling standpoint, with the exception of that women's match, that it is a worthwhile show from a wrestling standpoint. But as a historical artifact, it is absolutely a fascinating presentation to watch. Um, and I think almost more so than any of the matches, the things that are said about North Korea on commentary and the little bits of propaganda in between matches are more fascinating on, on more and deeper levels than any of the in-ring action. Um, but yeah, it's um, it's just a fascinating thing. Anyway, uh, we're going to leave it at that for this special presentation of uh, Days of Thunder. Uh, Jeff, I'd like to thank you so much for joining us again. We we, we really should get together more often because we always have a great time chatting on these things. But um, before we go, do, do, do you have any plugs to drop uh, where people uh, on this fine network can uh, see some more of your uh, illustrious content? Well, uh, of course, uh, on a weekly basis, uh, myself and Paul Sebastian host Boom Goes to Dynamite, the AEW Dynamite Review Show, where we, you know, talked that week's uh, Dynamite. And we finally went back to Wednesdays just in time for Dynamite to run two Friday night episodes. So we're going to be back on Saturdays for a couple of weeks. But also <laughs> coming on actual Memorial Day, we'll be uh, discussing the uh, the Double or Nothing pay-per-view as well. Mm. Um, you can also find me on Busting Balls, uh, that that will be coming up next week sometime because, uh, you know, all of the seasons are ending. We got Euro 2020 asterisks coming up. So yeah. um, 
so we got that so we're going to be previewing that and then also you can find me writing nearly daily on uh on my blog strongstylestory.tumblr.com mm-hmm. um where i do yeah, I, I already kind of went at, about it at length at the beginning of this show so i don't need to but uh, anyway um <laughs> Once again, and and gentlemen, thank you for coming on to episode seventeen of uh, Strong Style History. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely, Um, yeah. For us uh, at WCW Thunderpod is where you need to go for the show. I forgot my Twitter too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Strong Style Story uh, without the E in style on Twitter. My personal Twitter at GD Wessel. Two S's, one L. Good stuff. Uh, So yeah, we're at WCW Thunderpod. Individually, I'm at the day-to-day. Lee is at Malone underscore 713. Uh, Just other stuff to make you aware of in terms of our content. So uh, I have linked to the cast, my my weekly video game podcast, which is not on this esteemed network. You'll have to go looking for that separately, but it's it's worth it, uh, I think, anyway. Uh, Not that I'm biased or anything. But um, also in something that we will also be announcing, I'm not sure where this lands in relation to this week's Days of Thunder, but we will also be announcing it on Days of Thunder that later this, this is a three-podcast week week for the thunder family because not only do we have our regularly scheduled um days of thunder but dropping at some stage this weekend will be the first of a special mini non-wrestling series from your friends at days of thunder where myself chris damasano of the the strong style story podcast fame uh and jack lazell of link to the cast fame get together in what we're calling the cast and the furious where we tackle <laughs> the the perhaps the peak of cinematic art that is the Fast and Furious uh, film series. We are going to be tackling them two films at a time with a special mini special for Hobbs and Shaw. So this weekend we will be dropping our episodes on the Fast and the Furious from 2001 and Too Fast, Too Furious from 2003. So you can check that out. No wonder why Chris isn't doing my show now. I know. He's he's completely blown up. Yeah, I know, right? Damn. I'll tell you what, look, if 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 the codester wrestles Vin Diesel on Dynamite, uh that guy is running back. If uh if if like uh Ludacris is announced for the dome, then he'll run back to Strong Style Story. That's uh, what you need. Because after all, podcasts are about family, gentlemen. Of course. Uh, and on that note, we shall see you again very soon. Thanks, everyone, for downloading another episode of Days of Thunder. Days of Thunder is produced by Lee Malone and edited by myself, Dave Ryan, and available every second Thursday night wherever good podcasts are sold. You can follow Days of Thunder on Twitter or Instagram, where we love to hear from our listeners about all things wrestling and beer. We're at WCW Thunderpod on both platforms. I'm at the Day to Dave on Twitter, and Lee is at Malone underscore 713. This has been a production of the PWOM Podcast Network. Subscribe there for a veritable feast of podcasting content from wrestling of the past, like the Worldcast, through the years in the International House of Combat, to wrestling of the present, with Boom Goes the Dynamite and Strong Style Story, and something a little bit different with Gideon Guys, Yours, Mine, and the Truth, and Busting Balls. Subscribe now, you won't be disappointed. Thanks. I can feel the thunder that's breaking in your heart. I can see through the scars inside you I can feel the thunder that's breaking in your heart I can see through the scars inside